0: Just the evening of January 12th, 2023, and you are listening to the Combing the Stacks Music Podcast, a hot take, cold listen version of the show. It is actually, it is crazy to say this out loud, guys. It is the 17th cold listen, hot take, actually more like bonus, right? So they're not all cold listen, hot takes, but 17th bonus episode of the season, season three. Uh, which for those that might be coming in for the first time, or have not been for a while, is covering the 1980s. We are in the mid-1980s, 1985 to be exact, on both the regular shows and the Cold Listen Hot Take, and we have six very interesting albums tonight across the spectrum of musical sounds. But before we introduce those albums, I just want to remind everybody uh, that you can check out our YouTube account, Coming the Stacks Music Podcast. You can search uh, by that term on uh, YouTube and find us. And we do individual album reviews on YouTube. So the full shows are not up. Uh, it is individual album reviews. If you want the full shows, you can check us out on pretty much every major podcast platform. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Anch- uh, Anchor, which is our home for the recording. And many, many others uh sixteen to be exact, in fact, I find our podcast sometimes on platforms that i didn't even share with it. They just grabbed us out of the ether guys, so hmm. how about that um, but i've talked enough. Let me check in with my colleagues let's first start with the strong and brave Josh Josh, <laughs> strong and brave <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: courageous um That's how are my you coat buddy? of arms. Your
1: uh doing well uh let's see what's going on oh we got a rice cooker which we're breaking out tonight to uh cook to rice, rice. <laughs> so i'll let you know how that <laughs> i was goes. wondering if that was going to deviate <laughs> from what i would have thought yeah mm-hmm. uh we make a lot of rice and we're ready to uh take it up to the next level so i'll let you know how it goes it's it's cool it's like a little space age looking almost like one of those old uh IMAX Apple Macs that had the the translucent colors it looks like mm-hmm. that that's funny oh wow okay
0: you, and you it's in a korean wild and exciting <laughs> yes. oh it's a wild and exciting <laughs> yeah. life over there i know so, mm-hmm. i like how i said taking your rice up to the next level because <laughs> <Like>, <laughs> yeah. white rice is the ultimate right like staple food so good for it you it is mm-hmm. um Speaking of staple foods of the podcast, Matt, how are you over there? You, are you the white rice of this podcast? I am the <laughs> whitest of rices.
2: Um, <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm good. I'm uh, I'm hanging in there. And uh, I don't know. Not a whole lot to report. It's, just, it's January. It's the Ides of January. And it um, it's my least favorite time of the year as far as the uh, – actually well you got football playoffs that's kind of cool the giants are in the playoffs i'm excited about that
0: but... what's the football playoffs yeah, um, yeah, i'm unaware John, of this phenomenon I was, that exists. i was not aware of that mm-hmm. for the
2: past like six years and then somebody reminded me that that actually happened so
0: um i'll get to watch it this year well so, times that by two and then add a year yeah. to it and that's how long i haven't done it so yeah mm-hmm.
2: oh those jets those jets um so, yeah, good. Uh, a quick cleaning of the stacks here. Actually, John, there's only one album that we're covering tonight from 1985. We are oh, almost wow, officially okay. in 1986, so we uh, are, yes. this Holy is cow. a transition episode for us of sorts. Uh, so Well, then um, for God's
0: sakes, Matt, tell yeah. people what we're covering so they can... Wow. And what's the 85 album? Let's start with the, that one. Can you guess the 85? Guys, you guys, <laughs> guess mm-hmm. the 85 album. I think the Sonic Youth album from 1985. Okay josh
1: well i'm looking at the spreadsheets
0: so oh, have... uh,
2: john john you should know that that's not the 85 album because sonic youth was originally scheduled for an earlier episode but mm, i noticed that right. it's from 86 and i said we that's better right. move that back if we want to be consistent so what the hell do i sonic know youth. that's okay it's the water boys is from 1985 okay. um and uh we're gonna actually as far as the order goes we're going to start off the episode with janet jackson for the first mm-hmm. time with her album control and as John mentioned, we are control. Covering, control. <laughs> yep. we're covering Sonic Youth with their album mm-hmm. Um Then we're doing the Beastie Boys. Big heavy hitter here for the first time with License to Kay. Ill. They're known to make and the beat drop. Uh, that is what I've heard. Drop. <laughs> uh, Anita Baker is following that with her album Rapture. And then the Water Boys, as I mentioned, with their album This is the Sea. And finally, gosh, we're covering these guys like every other week. Is REM? They just—they they are '80s. Uh, yeah, they're like REM. Does an album uh, every
0: year in the '80s from '83 on. Plethora of so.
2: albums in the '80s. Yeah. So this is REM's album, Life Life's
0: Rich Pageant. Will fi- will be the final uh, installment of the show. And because of my inability to do that show, we actually have covered all of them so far. So because we were not going to yeah. do fables, but yep. we ended up getting that one in. So. We ended
2: up doing fables. Yeah, that was the the John missed episode from couple weeks ago that was the pre-christmas episode for the last episode of the of the calendar year of 2022
0: yeah i'm not going to do it now but i realized i never gave my thoughts on those albums did i so i'll have to at some point give my editorial opinion on those albums so
1: yeah, yes i am curious as to what you think about i'll those. save it
0: for a hot take at some <laughs> point we have a bad episode i feel it's going down the tank i'll try to jump in and save it or if we have a really good one i'll come in and you know cut it, potentially spoil it so yeah so Sounds good. okay we go. well let's just go ahead and start covering some of these albums guys so matt i always forget and my new year's resolution has been to not forget to ask <laughs> you for the numbers so yeah. as a matter of fact we didn't even talk about who's going to cover which album first right so we'll do the first and the fourth matt you'll start the second and the fifth josh will start and third and sixth i'll start how does that sound so why don't you go ahead and run the numbers and all right take then. the first take
2: so janet jackson's control comes in at number 319 in the 1980s on best ever albums number 28 in 1986 number 2057 of all time it is janet jackson's third highest rated album on best ever album albums behind the velvet rope from 1997 um and rhythm nation 1814 from 1989 which i I think we're going to cover both of those we are Um, yep both and janet jackson is ranked as the number 466th highest overall artist on Best Ever Albums and this is the highest rated album that we're covering tonight from Rolling Stone coming in at number 111. So there wow. you go. So That's um, high. That is high. It was, it was, I was a little surprised. Because uh, I guess I'll go on with my take on this record. So uh, this is another one of those albums that had some pretty big hits. Uh, in particular, Definitely. Nasty, I think might have been the biggest hit. And actually, as I'm looking... Like at 17 here, big hits on this yeah, album. I, I, I was, was, was kind
0: of shocked at how many of them were on this album. Because yeah, I knew so- other albums with tons of them. I'm like, damn, there's a lot of hits on this.
2: Yeah. Uh, what Have You Done For Me Lately was a big hit. Nasty. And When I Think Of You, I think of those of the first three. And Control was pretty big as well. But also... Oh, yeah. Singles other singles included Let's Wait a While, The mm-hmm. Pleasure Principle, and Funny How How Time Flies I mean, When You're like Having most Fun. The album. <laughs> that's yeah, I definitely
0: remember seeing the video for Pleasure Principle. So yeah, I knew are, that one was single.
2: There are two non singles on this record and mm-hmm. there are seven singles. So um this is a big one. Um and I overall enjoyed this record. Uh, this, a couple of things stood out to me. One, this seemed like, and I don't know if we've talked about this before. I'm sure it's going to come up a little bit more, but I was getting a little hint of some new jack swing type sounds here. Yes, um, and uh, and definitely too. had you know it's a it's a pop record that's um that that definitely you if there's a lot of 80s synth that's kind of slathered all over the place and it's a very did she
0: cut. use jimmy jam and terry lewis on this yes, album because they, they are okay. The producers and okay this, yeah what i was gonna say because this is like they've entered the chat at this yeah. point cause <laughs> immediately identifiable sound and i knew they were are they new jack who swing took guys her. yes they're okay. well they're like proto and then they're a part of it hmm. right like new okay. jack swing has like many origins but they're definitely one of the big prototypes yeah
2: yeah and i like that I, i've always liked that kind of that that's a that's kind of like a, a style of music that i remember vividly um you know as a kid hearing a lot uh you know growing up and uh just kind of thinking it being there and then it went away just like you know just this 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 type of sound and the production certainly is is of its time and then I would co- visit it later on in subsequent years and go like, yeah, I kind of like that. That's pretty, it's, it's, that's, you know, it's, 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 it's an upbeat, fun kind of, kind of um, genre. So, uh, and I was hearing that throughout here. Um, uh, I Do really you want liked- to
0: hear what, um what um the countdown I see of the top 10 greatest new Jack swing songs was for context <laughs> oh. for those that might not know what it is? All right, go for it. Okay. Number 10. And you could tell me if you know this number 10 is Tony, 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 feels good it feels okay. good yeah number nine is rex and fx new jack swing which oh
2: i was thinking rump shaker
0: <laughs> makes sense right well yeah I, that's a little less i that, that yeah so the number eight is the group guy who i remember uh groove me that. is on there I don't seven know. is motown philly yeah by oh, boys yeah. to men big time six yeah. is aisha by another, another bad creation, band creation <laughs> yep, which you is yeah, so yeah. So number uh, five is another guy I remember from my youth. I'll be sure off on your girl, baby. So that's number <laughs> number five. I do not know that song. You do not know that song? It's yeah. an awesome title. I might know number four here. is. Bobby Brown, Don't Be Cruel, which yep, is a yep. pretty fantastic song. Number three is early TLC, Ain't Too Proud to Beg, which oh, is yeah. a fantastic oh, wow, video. Yeah. I yeah. remember that one. If I Number- want it in the
2: morning or the middle of the night, I ain't mm-hmm. too proud to
0: beg. Number two is Poison by Bellevue DeVoe. Yeah. yeah and That's number one. one is rub you the right way by johnny gill which i remember <laughs> that song quite a bit so there you go for those that may not. Like and if you don't stuff. know those, if, if you don't know those songs go listen to all of them because they're yeah, all and awesome
2: and yeah. it's one of those things where i'm like how did that not like carry on more because it was just such a i don't know it's 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 a cool it's a kind of a cool mixture it's r&b for sure it's not yeah. quite hip-hop um you know, there's some soul, but it's got this upbeat, you know, a lot of, I love the drum kit, the drum sounds and the you know, the like the, the syncopated nature of the of the drums and stuff. So um yeah, it's just like very danceable, uh definitely like latter eight late eighties kind of kind of sound. Cool. But uh so According I to Wikipedia
0: some... it's a fusion genre of okay. the rhythms and production techniques of hip hop and dance pop and the urban contemporary sound of R and B. And do you guys know the uh the godfather of New Jack Swing? I do know this, but do you guys know I, who it is? I don't think so. no. no. It's Teddy Riley, so. Teddy Riley, who Teddy you would know Riley, from Black yeah. Street, and he was in Guy and stuff oh. like that. Okay. But yes, I, according to this, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis are considered to be key producers in the genre. So All there right. you go. Well, there you
2: go. So these guys are producing it, and it's and it's apparent. It was apparent to me, at least, anyway. So, um, really liked revisiting Nasty. That's a that is a that is a fun song. It's I love her attitude in that. You know how she's kind of just yeah. taking control, right? And that's what this record's really about. It's like this, you know, asserting her independence. I believe this is her third album. Yeah. And so she's clearly, like, trying to come come out of the shadows of her brother. uh, Who is Michael Jackson, by the way, for those of you that don't (laughs) don't know.
1: Um, And Fame. She was on that show, Fame. Do you remember that? Like, she was kind of like, like, yeah. Do you recall, like, kind of what her marketing was for this album like was she before was she like a kind of like girl next door and now they're like tried so. to I, push her yeah. in a different direction yeah. or something
2: yeah this is yeah, the and, one that established her independence so to speak. i
0: remember yeah. a lot more the marketing for like rhythm nation 1814 yes. which yeah. was a lot of like black and white like industrial feel to it so yes, i definitely yeah. remember that being in my um I, in fact i remember asking for that album and stuff but yeah this was a little before my time but i think matt's right i think this is like the i'm no longer just the girl next door you know yeah. album yeah. it's like i'm a, i'm all grown up yeah well the she's... yeah I,
1: I remember the music videos for the janet the, that later album they're so influential i think fincher shot the the one in the factory rhythm the black nation, and white one. yeah yeah
2: yeah, um, and I remember the videos from this. So this is—I was like eight when this came out. So I was starting; my memory was starting to solidify, if you will. But um, I think a lot of the songs on here are pretty good. I, you know, the singles that I knew best, like "Control," "Nasty," "What Have You Done for Me Lately," which also I think is this the first skit we've heard on an album? Have we had any others? Because there's a brief skit at the beginning of "What Have You Done for Me Lately," where the two ladies are. Do what we count like the who when they're
0: doing the commercials and stuff? Like the does that count as a
2: ah skit? Uh, uh, I don't know. That maybe, okay, maybe. But like, Mothers
0: of Invention had some stuff that kind of veered into true. that area too.
2: I guess, I guess, I mean, skits to me like were very prevalent in 90s hip hop. And, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and, and this yeah. is kind of like the, I don't know, the maybe towards the beginning
0: of that. But anyway. And um, like 90% of them, by the way, like do not pass the modern context, by the way, <laughs> like what the skits were. They, they particularly yeah. stand out. Yeah. Yeah. So, um,
2: so uh and i liked when i think of you i like like the production there so most of these songs i i liked i wouldn't say that i love this record um i think i i, I this is more of an i and i like it um i think that there's other kind of more pop uh you know albums that you know or, or songs maybe that i liked a little bit more but um but some some pretty strong songs the, i'm not a fan of the last two that's where she starts her ballads and it's kind of like it starts to I start to lose interest around there. But I really mm-hmm. like the pre- Pleasure Principle. That wasn't a song that I was familiar with before. I thought that that was a pretty pretty solid track there. Um, and uh, so overall, pretty pretty, pretty solid here for for, for Miss, Miss Jackson, if I'm nasty. And um, I think I would give this a slight thumbs up. It's not a huge thumb up, but it's, it's definitely a thumbs up for me. Um, I just, yeah, I don't know, man. Some of these more R&B type, genres the ballads I straw, I am definitely more of the upbeat dance poppy you know uh yeah. fan of that fan of that stuff rather than the kind of like the the slower love ballads that don't really they don't move me as much I guess but um but overall this is a fun record and I would recommend it well you
0: know what Matt I'm gonna what? take that that slight thumbs up you gave and I'm gonna jack it all the way up to the sky because this album <laughs> was awesome go, this is like top tier pop not just 80s pop, but like in general, there's undeniably great beats on this. Um, I I love the product. The production is so clean, but also accessible in its own way. It It really navigates something that we haven't heard a ton, right? Which is crossover music that is also definitively, I guess what was being called urban music at this time, right? So like you could see it played on both mainstream radio and black radio right and up to this point there aren't many artists right that have that cross it's not really since like the late 60s that we saw with Motown and you know even like Sly and the Family Stone and stuff because in the 70s music started to once again get a little bit more segregated I guess you had things like disco right and pop that could kind of go in but they were considered to be a little bit more lightweight and disposable right whereas this I feel is designed to be substantive. I I also always, Janet Jackson is just this massive artist and I'm always fascinated when somebody, and we're going to cover REM tonight, which I use as as like a band example of it. I'm always amazed when somebody is just gigantic for like 15 years, but then when like their career starts to go, then you don't like hear about them for a decade. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's just fascinating to me that after the Super Bowl. Um, what was that? Two thousand four ish around that area. That uh, just Janet Jackson just fell off the face of the earth because you're just like uh, you know pleasure principle. What have you done for me lately? When I think of you, you know these are these are I mean control nasty. These are all massive songs that I heard hundreds of times, maybe in some cases thousands of times. Right, growing up and to be Janet Jackson and have your brother be Michael Jackson and still be able to carve out your own yeah. lane is kind of remarkable when you think about it because uh, it just, it doesn't seem like it should happen. And she certainly wasn't reinventing Michael Jackson's lane, by the way, I'd like to point out, like she was also a pop star, but she was definitively a pop star that occupied a different landscape. And, and I think the landscape is sort of like somewhere in between because Janet Jackson's albums and and they're going to get even more so in the the 90s right like for sure but there's always like a quite from this album on like a twinge of pretty overt sexuality mm-hmm. on these albums i mean one of these albums is is largely just her talking her way through an orgasm pretty much like and so which is Princeian. you know what i mean it's kind of like a prince song but with is janet, janet jackson
2: I think that was from eighty, when, when, from nineteen ninety three, where she did that oh, Janet well, album. That was like no. Was I mean,
0: on album this album, cover. no, on this album. Oh, you said one of her
2: albums was. Oh, I thought you said one of her albums was was very sexual.
0: Well, the Velvet Rope and Janet both are very sexual, mm-hmm. like for sure. Um, I mean, and you know, later I, I remember she had songs like called like Throb and stuff like that. You know, and her videos are are very sensual and sexual, right? Like she became like a pretty significant sex symbol. You know what I mean? By the time the 90s roll around. At this point, I think she's still kind of, you know, easing her way into it and showing you that she can be that. And obviously, you know, in 80s pop, you know, the female pop star, it was kind of difficult. Right. Because you either got put in like the the sexual lane or you got put in like the quirky lane. Right. And it was it was hard to kind of navigate Without being bundled into one, and probably Janet jackson's as close as you got to someone who was able to occupy uh i wouldn't say quirky but like a, a lane where she was um substantive enough right to be considered a a serious mainstream pop star but also sexual enough that she didn't come across as sexless you know, and you know over time you know kind of she you know, a different type of music, but she kind of, you know, um, did the thing that a lot of artists do where you discover your sexuality as you go on and it becomes more overt, right? Especially when you're, you feel like you're sheltered early in life and then you come out of your shell. But, but Matt nailed it. I mean, there is that, that new Jack swing sound here. Um, with the drum machine and uh, but not in the way that like Phil Collins or that type of 80s pop uses the drum <laughs> machine. It's it's different. You know, what I mean? it's definitively tied to, um, you know, 70s music uh, that would have been played on black radio. Right. As opposed to, you know, Phil Collins was sort of pulling, I think, from more of a electronic music type of feel, um, I would say. It always feels a little bit more syn- synthetic to me. I think with him, but um, yeah, as, as pop goes, this is top shelf stuff. And I don't know if I ever have listened to this album in entirety. Um, It's one of those albums you feel like you have because you've heard every song basically. And so it just, the order and putting them together as an album was interesting to hear. Mm. And also where it appears in our journey in 1986. Uh, I think this is where, you start to hear like, oh, okay, now the sounds of my youth are starting to creep in, which I knew was going to come eventually, right? Yeah. But I wasn't sure when, and it's like, okay, now we're starting to get to sounds in production that sounds like the type of stuff that was formative for me in the real time. And um, this is one of the first albums that we've covered where I'm like, okay, uh, early 90s style production um, and late 80s production is coming. So yeah, this one gets a strong thumbs. I've got other things to say, but I don't want to take away from Josh. So I want to hear what Josh has to say about this.
1: Yeah. uh, First of all, I was wrong. Rhythm Nation was directed by Dominic Cena or Senna, not uh, David Fincher. So (laughs) (laughs) Um, I, I enjoyed this album as well. I had not, I think I had only heard control nasty and what have you done for me lately? Um, it's hard, it's hard not to sing that title as she sings it um mm. and uh, yeah these are these are strong pop hits it, it is definitely reminded me of kind of the kind of Cindy Lopper type of vibe where you have you're surrounded you know where every track is is pretty catchy you're the production is surrounded by all these strong songwriters who um, you know are, are contributing and you know as well as the best Like producers, so I I feel like this is a an example of an album that the label is like fully, fully behind and putting all of its power into. Um, And then you have Janet Jackson, obviously, as kind of the star that that carries it all. And it brings up another point: is you know when we talk about that crossover appeal, like when we talked about Whitney Houston last week, she is another uh, you know black female artist that crossed over, and I think is one of the big ones of the '80s for sure. Uh, I wasn't uh, this it's weird because I think like the some of the songs kind of went went on too long for me Um, for the most part I feel like they could be cut down a little bit and it seems like they're just kind of reveling in the production and and not necessarily just Janet Jackson, but like kind of the sounds that they're bringing in the music itself. Um, cause I feel like that there there's kind of these looping or repeating, um, parts that they keep coming back to in the songs and that kind of stretches them out. So, um, I kept picking up on that for some reason and, uh, kind of wore on me and the, um, as I listened to it more, uh, further on the um what am i trying to say uh the as the album went on i kind of lost interest just like i think matt said and um but they were all pretty good tracks and um i didn't like the the uh i didn't like the uh kind of the slower love songs um as much but i i really kind of like the hit big hits that um that i had heard before like control and nasty um and i i think the other thing too is that Janet Jackson's sounds like she's having fun you know she her personality is coming through um on the album especially on a song like nasty and she just has uh this presence that that makes an appearance here and um so yeah i'm interested to hear those other later albums as well. Mm. Now, I I uh, I like "Let's Wait
0: a While" um, quite a bit, actually. The slower song. Um, you know who Janet Jackson's voice always has reminded me of a little bit? Diana Ross. Um, it's got that wispy voice. LCD. It's not like this big powerhouse voice, but I think hers is a sexier version of Diana Ross's voice. You know, whereas Diana Ross's is very delicate. Like I feel like Janet Jackson takes sort of that. That, like you said, yeah, that delicate, velvety sound. Mm-hmm. And there's a little bit more gravitas behind it. But she is not what I would call a belter, right? Like, as a singer, she's more no. she's more finesse than power. And um, I like that about her. I think because of that, she's particularly agile in pop songs. Um, and I, I like her in ballads, um, even if they're hokey. Like, I I can remember there was, like, a hokey ballad from, I think it was Janet, called, like, Again, right? That's sort of like a tin plate, like, you know, standard song, but there's something about the way that Janet Jackson sings it that evokes emotion from it. Um, And I always can kind of appreciate that she could take that material and elevate it a little bit so i might be a little higher on this album than you guys um, i know the rhythm nation 1814 album extremely well and i know the 90s janet jackson albums and early 2000s very well because my college roommate was a huge janet jackson fan <laughs> so um so i heard quite a bit of I don't know if i've work. ever
2: met any huge janet jackson fans just you had to peripheral. meet my
0: college roommate because yeah. he was yeah a big one I- i've met benny but I think that might also speak to our respective uh, growing up scenarios, Matt. Maybe so. Yeah. Yeah, but and she was so...
1: still a huge like arena, you know, oh, filling yeah. star. So I'm just... oh yeah. But she yeah, was like, like you a said, top John. three pop star of the right, 90s. right. Like it's... it's not even in question if it was She'd Right. Just... Yeah. So it's always interesting, album's... like you said, that that people don't talk about talk about her more. Well, she oh, just the stopped, pop right? John,
2: you know, she was she was huge. I remember when that, yeah, when her self title and Janet came out in '93, she was it was all over the place. saying another singles all over the place, and that's also where she was like, yeah, the, that's like the sexual album. Where she was like posed naked for the for the for the cover, like you know, and but, like. But all of her lighter. albums
0: are sexual in their own way. That just had more sexual imagery, right? Well, this like, was it was more sexual was, on this.
2: Yeah, but oh, no, but that was way her image was way more overtly sexual on that than than, than yes. on this, you know. Yes. They like just looked Well, at what the do you think the and... pleasure
0: principle is about, Matt? Like in case you I know you're not a lyrics guy, but it doesn't take much to figure no, it out. No, I know. Out.
2: But I'm talking yeah. the visual presentation of her and how that was marketed was way more. That was like, yes. okay, that was a different level. But but yes. yeah, but then she kind of she was around a little bit and then she i don't she she fell off like in terms of her popularity and like being talked about well, and whatnot so well there will I, be people
0: she, who say she basically got unfairly canceled because of the super bowl thing oh that's yeah kind for of sure thing oh that, right you know that's, justin yep. timberlake got to have a career and she got to take all the heat for it so that's not a that's not a um unfounded or uh, unfair in my opinion theory a little bit because it's amazing how only one person seemed to get there were two people involved in that but only yep. one seemed to get the flack so yeah yeah
2: but this was big this sold it says it sold over 10 million so did pretty well sounds
0: yeah it sounds like it should have too because Mm. um i i enjoyed this this was a very easy listen for me and um a very familiar and comfortable sound um and yeah i'm absolutely glad we covered it cool okay any final thoughts before we move on to seg2
2: nope we will uh we'll see her again in a couple couple episodes so
0: a couple, couple of different times we'll be covering her, which mm-hmm. is yeah. good. I'm going to be, it's going to be fun to watch her evolution. So, okay. Right on. Segment number two, which I believe Josh leads us off on is going to be the first appearance of Sonic Youth, mm-hmm. um, a band. We'll see plenty more um, over the years in both this decade, the nineties and a couple times in the two thousands as well. Uh, Matt, what are the numbers some numbers here so eval by sonic youth comes in at number 109 in the
2: 1980s on best ever albums number 10 in 1986 number 728 of all time it is sonic youth's fourth highest album on best ever albums behind sister goo and daydream nation uh it did not make rolling stones list from what i saw and sonic youth is ranked as number 55 in the overall artist rankings on best ever albums
1: Sister Goo. Oh, those are two different albums. Sister and <laughs> Those Goo. are two different albums, Sister, gosh, yes. Yes. Okay.
2: Sister from 87 and Goo from 1990.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, all right. We'll cover so, both, by the way. Oh, okay. So I know this is one of your favorite bands, John. Uh, we've sure mentioned is. that before. Um, I was interested because I don't really have, you know, any kind of relationship with Sonic Youth. I think I had listened to Daydream Nation at one point, but now i Didn't. will
0: say before you get into it josh this album sounds
1: very different than a lot of the al- other albums that we're going to cover so i will oh, put that in there okay. mm-hmm. yeah i see um well that's that's good to know so I, overall I, I enjoyed this album uh pretty much i was expecting you know a, kind of a lot more feedback and and uh maybe in the vein of um, jesus and mary chain type of type of sound but overall i think the feedback was pretty restrained and or or at least not like up front so that the vocals still took like center stage and kind of i don't know i worked more in harmony with the rest of the music um so i i kind of enjoyed that the other big thing that i really like about this is that kim gordon uh sings as well so she trades off i guess with uh with thurston moore Depending on the song or, you know... Well,
0: what... Lee Ronaldo sings on this one too, believe it or oh, not. okay. Yeah, he sings um, In the Kingdom, 19, is his. Oh, yep. okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Nice. Um So, yeah, the fact that they have three different people that sing, I think that adds a lot of depth and variety to to a band. And so I appreciate that. And the one thing that struck me is just how much this sounded like <sighs> Nirvana and, like, later on, like, how people delivered the vocals when singing um kind of that flat singing voice that's that doesn't have a lot of emotion i mean that's kind of grunge in some respects but it just did remind me of nirvana in a lot of ways um sometimes they the other kind of thing about sonic youth or at least on this album is that their guitars often sound like they're off key or or down tuned or something um and sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't work for me it you know it just kind of brings a unique like i don't know like it brings like a moody depressing sound to the music probably intentionally but the um so uh, my mileage varied on on that part of it as well um but they had some they had some instrumentals on here as well Go ahead.
0: Real quick, Josh, uh, Thurston Moore is known for playing with, like, pretty much exclusively alternate tunings. Okay. So that's a little bit, I think, of what you're hearing. He yeah. plays very few songs
1: in traditional tuning. Like, it's kind of like his MO. So yeah. that's a little bit, I think, of what you're hearing. Okay, yeah. So that takes some getting used to, especially when, when you, you know, I guess I'm a basic bitch because I like traditional tunings or something. Who knows? But <laughs> the... Um, uh, my favorite song on the album was Bubblegum. Actually, that was kind of the one that had the most energy. Um, I think that's actually a bonus track or something, or like not—it's a... a cover too. Oh, is it? Okay, that's probably why mm-hmm. it sounds different. Um, but I also liked uh, other songs like Shadow of a Doubt, uh, and basically, I think I liked Kim Gordon's songs more than <laughs> than the other ones. Uh, a Secret Girl—that was that was another one that has some piano on it which i really liked as well and then in the kingdom 19 that parts of that reminded me of of cake that song um that they sang and uh you but, know who
0: played the uh bass on that song and bubblegum who mike watt from the Minutemen. oh okay
1: mm-hmm. nice. yeah
0: he was a, he was a sort of a studio musician for them on a couple songs hmm Yep. Oh yeah,
1: we t- I remember we talked about the crossing yep. over, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, overall this was this was pretty good. Um, I'm, I thought I'd be like, well, now that John said that this doesn't sound like the rest of their albums, I guess I'll just see. But um, I like this one. Well, there's uh, elements, but it's it's yeah. definitely more avant garde. Let's put it okay. that way. I yeah. see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's a good way to put it too. It is pretty avant garde.
0: Okay, uh, Matt. I think you're up. I- I'm actually ex- surprised you like this one, Josh. I-, I have to admit. So.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna have to uh, disagree with Josh on this. Um, <laughs> I figured
0: Matt would hate this yeah, album. I, yes. So <laughs> I
2: actually, I actually thought when when I first the first couple of songs, I was actually intrigued by. I kind of thought maybe I would like this. Um, I, th- I think the first track in particular was a good way to open it. I did like Tom Violence. I I, I think um, it it definitely pretends to what what's going to come later on in like late eighties, early, you know, in, in nineties, you know, this is definitely the alt rock, you know, kind of yeah. grunge, you know, there's a lot of that foreshadowing of what's to come later on. So I, you know, like Nirvana, stuff like that, Josh, that you picked up on and other many other bands as well. So um, I was like, okay, all right. Cause I, my history and my, you know, with, with Sonic Youth has not been one that I've, <laughs> it's not a band that I've typically gravitated towards that, you know it's 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 stuff that i've heard of it has been difficult for me to get into mm-hmm. um and just the more that this album went on i was getting that feeling again it, it, and it really started with in the kingdom night number 19. um i struggled with that i also struggled with secret girl this these spoken word songs it, it just it, it's i struggle with that and it, it, and if you're going to do that have something musically behind it that i can get down to i could kind of get down with some of the music of secret girl like there's like a piano there's like a cool eerie piano part Mm -hmm. that's playing in the background which i kind of liked i didn't like the way it started it was just a bunch of noise at the beginning and then like it it get into this piano part that was cool and then kim gordon gets into this thing that reminded me of that of, of of one of the patty patty smith songs where she's just like it's just like spoken word poetry that's i don't know to me comes off as somewhat pretentious and uh i just it doesn't resonate with me really at all as a a musical piece it's kind of it's a separate thing for me and it's just and i'm not like one for you know spoken word poetry generally speaking anyway so i struggled with that and then some of the songs in between like i struggled with like death to our friends you know uh, Marilyn Marilyn moore um expressway to your skull was also like something about madonna sean and me or something like that i think they changed mm-hmm. the name of that or maybe that was the original yeah. song title or something maybe there's some story there but yeah it just it to me this is it, it drones it's a very drony kind of sound um john i was reminded of some of your comments about that the first time we covered the velvet underground with um white light white heat when you were talking about how cold and distant that album was Mm -hmm. i felt i felt like that with this record i felt i felt i mean there's
0: similarities between like what they're going for here and and that album yeah they take it in a different direction but you're right i mean i I just i felt
2: this was this was distant from me i felt like you know i yeah like they're not terribly interested in like connecting with me and i'm not terribly interested in connecting Mm. with them really and it just i i listened to it several times i gave it a fair share um and i just it's it, it wasn't for me the discordant nature of a lot of what's happening here just didn't really have any direction for me um didn't really pick up in certain you know you know I- incorporate you know other things that were more i don't need it to be mo- like 100 percent melodic but have something in there that i'm going to grab whether it's a melody or it's a or it's a uh, like a bass line or a a beat or something like that I just I found very little here um, that that made me get to that point so uh, I'm gonna go with thumbs down on this I'm glad that John said that this is different this isn't what I, I, I'm hoping to like some Sonic Youth because I definitely understand their influence and pe- people love this band man and, and a lot they are gonna be hard are-
0: for you Matt I'm not gonna lie I don't okay. know I will say I will say I I, we'll I, see. I, yeah.
2: mm-hmm. I know that um I mean the only other album that I knew was Murray Street which I know John that you've told me that's from like 2002 I just bought it yep. I don't even remember mm-hmm. why but I'm like me buy a Sonic Youth album and you were like that's one of the worst <laughs> albums that you could have bought to get into Sonic Youth uh, it's so, not a
0: bad album but I don't know if it's representative so yeah. yeah so mm-hmm.
2: I, I I do I would like to come out of here with like at least some affinity for Sonic Youth I might not it might not happen I like I said I know a lot of bands that i do like like them and they're highly regarded but man this is tough this is a, this was a tough sell for me so i'm gonna have to go thumbs down on this unfortunately
0: yeah this is a in, so i I mean i think it's pretty well known that i'm a sonic youth guy like i i'm a fan of what they do i i get lost kind of in their their essence a little mm-hmm. bit with the the chord choices i find them extremely interesting as a band i I kind of put them in the same category as when you hear about musicians who like um, you know, uh kraut rock or avant-garde rock and because I have always been intrigued by their confrontational nature because I, I don't find them to be as um a, a melodic, I guess, <laughs> as some. Uh, truly avant-garde mm. stuff, and so there's just enough to kind of keep me in. Um, uh, there's, uh, if I were to make a list of of like top 20 Sonic Youth songs, like Star Power would certainly be on there. I think that's a pretty fantastic song, both lyrically and um, uh, sound-wise. Uh, Madonna, Sean, and Me, there there was a side project of um, Sonic Youth called Chacon Youth that a couple members were in um, that, was kind of an outshoot of that. That's a, the whole thing right there. Um, they do a cover of like Into the Groove by Madonna as well, which is interesting. But um, it's, I think it's uh, uh, the thing I noticed, and, and I'm going to kind of go into a little bit more of my knowledge. They, um, this was the first album that Steve Shelley is on, who's Sonic Youth's drummer. And I think Steve Shelley is a very recognizable drummer when you hear him. He has uh it like the fills that he does are very much in conjunction with the the chaos of the swirling guitars of thurston moore and lee Ronaldo, right like his drums are can be piercing right but then they can also fall behind Hmm. the guitar so you kind of forget they're there for a while and then they like absolutely um come to the forefront and just so almost like startle you a little bit probably the um the best example for those that might not be super familiar with Sonic Youth, but know, might do uh, know um, some stuff, is like "Teenage Riot." I think is is probably a good example of a song that has the the drum playing in there along with the whirling guitars. But yeah, this is um this is the the intersection between the super experimental sonic youth of the early years i'm talking i mean if you think this stuff is cold matt the early stuff is basically just like art project stuff right where they're just you know messing around and doing sounds and you know bad moon rising that was before this um was i would say a harsher album there's there's stuff like early like confusion is sex and stuff like their early albums which I consider them for Sonic Youth to be kind of like what the early albums were for The Replacements where you almost don't recognize yeah. um like where they are as a band to some degree. This is where they start putting together some pop sensibilities. Steve Shelley comes in and kind of adds that signature sound to it. And then yeah, and then we go into like that run of albums uh that that come in the SST records era. This is the first um, SST records album, right? Because um, this is when they're trying to expand beyond hardcore Sonic mm-hmm. use, one of the first bands they bring in. and And you can see a little bit of how, hardcore has some elements in this um how you know mike watts playing on this you could see a little bit of how the Minutemen and sonic youth overlap um you can see how the velvets right were such an influence for them and like josh said you can also see how they were influences on a lot of bands that played that had feedback heavy guitar and flat vocals and and also sonic youth has the ultimate like indie vibe right like they are not seeking credibility right they are almost notoriously anti-careerist right and um they're just cool you know (laughs) like in an era when there aren't many cool people sonic youth is a definitively cool band they just they seem cooler than the room pretty much in every room they're in even when they're with cool people right very gen x (laughs) They're like, nice. yeah, they're they're, but it's funny because they're actually a little older than Gen X. Yeah, um, Kim Gordon, it's like you know, she was almost forty, right, in the early nineties when it was there, which is always re- amazing to me. But um, but yeah, they have that that sort of that idea of what I it is. Care, slacker,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, like, so I, I don't care, slacker kind of, yeah, like
0: I don't care, but I also care deeply about the things I right. care about, right and. Right. And, you know, we're going to put out an album, and we seem like we're some of the few people who actually don't give a shit if you like it or not because we put it there. And, there'll be a lot more to talk about i I am actually kind of fascinated for you guys to to listen to albums like sister and daydream nation and goo and you know all i mean there's a bunch we're going to cover that um take them in different directions but yeah this one is still when they're challenging you it's funny at the end of it that they they put bubblegum on there it's almost a little bit of a i fi to joke a little bit because it's like a two minute and 49 second song that is like an homage to you know the '50s and '60s sounds, uh, almost like that uh, Phil Spector type sound, but mm-hmm. you know Sonic Youth is is not that type of sound at all. But it's a little bit, I I think it's a little bit tongue in cheek their choice of uh, of cover there, and they're always interested in pop culture. So you know the fact that they're you know looking at you know, the Madonna and Shawn relationship as it's going off. I mean, she's the ultimate pop star, right? So they're sort of wearistically looking at that. They write a song called Star Power. So there's, um, there's a lot here. I, I always am interested in what's on Kim Gordon's mind. She's, <laughs> she's an interesting person to read the lyrics on because she's almost like a performance artist to some degree. So mm-hmm. um, from that end of things, she's always commenting on society. Um, but in an atypical way. So, yeah, I enjoyed this. There, there's going to be Sonic Youth albums that come down the road that I like a little bit more. For some people, the more confrontational, the more they like it. I do, I do like when they tighten it up a little bit to have a little bit more tunefulness, so I'll, I'll lay my cards out there. Uh, But yeah, I like this one. And I've said before, Sonic Youth is the ultimate um, headphones music for me. I put headphones on and um, I probably should also mention that we haven't really done any shoegaze albums yet. And this is definitely the beginning of what shoegaze is going to sound like. So um, just an FYI, guys, I was like listening to it. I was like laughing. I was like, oh, okay. Like I've sort of mentioned shoegaze for some of the things we've done and how this is the beginnings of it but boy this is where like the real shoegaze starts coming you know and it's going to be an entree into what's coming so they are certainly proto um uh proto gaze sho- shoegaze <laughs> proto like 90s indie uh you know who i know like um loved this album was neil young was like a huge fan oh, of yeah. this album that doesn't yeah. surprise me mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah and yeah you can absolutely see the overlap there can't you yeah
2: and uh and fun fact that bubblegum song was a cover uh written by kim Fowley. i never heard of this guy he was the manager of the runaways Mm -hmm. so there you go just yeah
0: they have a little bit of a sense of humor sometimes too that gets built in so Mm. um pay attention for that as we go along but yeah, i like this one and uh yeah i i think I when we did this podcast so many years ago one of the things I thought was going to be there were a couple of things I was like oh I can't wait to see Matt or Josh respond to these things right that I knew they weren't familiar with and one I knew both of you guys weren't super familiar with Sonic Youth so I was like at the very least they're now going to have to say they listen to these albums so they'll have a definitive opinion on it instead of just being like oh they exist as your thing John
1: so yeah <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah Yeah they are kind, they are kind mm-hmm. of like Art rock meets, coffee house meets. I don't know, depressing emo person or something.
0: Now, see, I you keep saying I don't find Sonic Youth depressing. To be, mm. There, there are songs that are certainly heavy. Like I, there's a song coming up that we'll talk about. Um, Kim Gordon's brother had schizophrenia, and there's a song called Schizophrenia that yeah. comes up that that is. A really profound song but also has like an eeriness but also like a, a touchingness to it yeah. but like i don't find the sound depressing i find this sound
1: um uplifting immers-
0: immersive <laughs> okay. no not up- it is immersive, immersive. No, yeah i th-
1: i think for me i think it's the the kind of that that alternate tuning i i somehow like associate that with with like sad sounding music for some reason, or or depressed. Yeah, depression.
2: I I I tend to agree with you a little bit more on that, Josh. I think it's. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm like depressed listening to this, but there is like a that the 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 minor key off chord, off off tune chord, like the droning sound. It, yeah. it's a little on the mopey side um, yep. that I hear as well. So. Um, not the most depressing I've heard. It's not like the definitive. Well,
0: no, no, no. you want to hear Sorry. Thurston Moore talk about his view on alternative tunings, a quote right here? <laughs> yes, uh, please. quote from, he said, uh, well, first of all, they talk about there's an interview um uh that they gave where they said sonic youth could only afford cheap guitars and cheap guitars sounded like cheap guitars but Mm. with weird tunings or something jammed under a particular fret those humble instruments could sound rather amazing so uh uh, thurston moore said it was uh, the odd tunings are an attempt to introduce new sounds when you're playing in standard tuning all the time well things sound pretty standard rather Mm. than retune for every song we generally used a particular guitar for one or two songs, and we take dozens of instruments on tour. Um, and basically, they looked at it as the different guitars could play different tunings, and it was like a different sound each time. Yeah. So I, and Moore said I that his influence all... for his sound was that sound was Velvet Underground, Wire, yes. The Stooges, and Patti Smith. So yeah,
2: yeah. Yep. and I respect all that. It just it just and it Minor Threat, who we never covered. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, just, it just didn't work for me on this. So yeah, I get it I will, completely. I will give them a shot next time around, whenever whatever the next one is. Um, it's going to we'll be see. Sister. It's, it's going to be the
0: next one. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm.
2: That's ranked just ahead of this, so that's a better album than this, of course. <laughs> so there you go.
0: Got it. Okay, two down, four to go. We are at album number three. Uh, I think I get the first take on this, but first, Matt. Run the numbers for us. Alright,
2: so this is Licensed to Ill by the Beastie Boys. It comes in at number 70 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums. Number 8 in 1986. Number 498 of all time. It's the Beastie Boys' second highest rated album on Best Ever Albums behind Paul's Boutique, which we're going to cover in this season. Uh, This also made Rolling Stone's list, along with Janet Jackson, at number 192. And the Beastie Boys on Best Ever Albums are ranked as number 136 of overall artist rankings.
0: Well, I think I'll start by saying I don't think I've listened to License to Ill all the way through since I was about maybe 19 years old. Uh, I've listened to it plenty of times all the way through, but... It's not the Beastie Boys album that, you know, I would listen to. It's also remarkable, guys, how the Beastie Boys sort of reinvented themselves as serious, capital S musicians, <laughs> right? Like conscious, yeah. because it was a journey for them, right? And I know they disavowed, like, this era of their career a little bit because they felt they were frivolous. But, yeah, this is basically, like, frat boy Well, they're so rock. young, too. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And it's not, uh, this is not a negative, by the yeah, way. Yeah. It's just the the elements that became part of the serious beasties, right? Like choice ability to pick samples, um, like Rick Rubin, (laughs) like all production style, like all over this. There's there's still a little bit of overlap here with like what Rick Rubin was doing with Run DMC, Uh, and you know by the time like Paul's boutique and you know uh stuff like that comes out right they kind of had gone into full like connoisseurs of their own samples and did not seem to be an homage necessarily of you know a little bit of what run dmc is doing and a little bit of you know rap group as rock band i i guess is a little bit of what the beastie boys vibe was here right the chaos and you know running wild and opening for madonna i know was part of it but um yeah it really does stand out that um you know, that part of their DNA, like the choice samples and the the craftsmanship and, you know, even um, the beginnings of some of, like, the standard... I, we even mentioned one earlier in the show, right? Like, drop! You know, the game comes in, like, multiple Beastie Boys songs are here. Mm-hmm. But also, you've got songs like Girls and She's Crafty, right? Which is about, like, a girl getting over on you, you know, and you got to fight for your right to party and hold it now, hit it, right? (laughs) I think there's just, there's a lot of stuff that like you would imagine like 19 year old guys sitting around a room in the eighties and nineties and 00s having been a, you know, 19 year old guy sitting around in a room right in the late nineties, this is the type of stuff that probably doesn't age well. If someone had a camera or a mic in there, but like for generations of 19 year old males, right. was part of the vernacular and it's in album form. Um, it's got a ton of a ton of songs that i i think are played consistently for the beasties even if they've sort of disavowed them to some degree like girls fight for your right she's crafty no sleep till brooklyn paul revere they're probably the brass monkey right they're like probably the ones that you know were in in on the radio standard pretty much all the time mm-hmm. for me. Um I grew up in the shadow of New York, so the Beastie Boys are also a uh definitively New York band. Uh, New York or Tibet, I guess, later are <laughs> the two like areas where it seems like they're from. But um yeah, they're like a they're a New York hip hop band, but uh, you know, the, the eleph the white elephant in the room is that they're the white rappers in the room, right? Yep. So they have enough street wiseness to be street wise, but they're also like three Jewish guys from a different part of New York. Um, so it really gives the full view of Brooklyn right at the time. Cause you got run DMC in one area and you got the beasties in the other. Right. But they, they come together under the Def jam label. Um, I've got more to say, but once again, I'm trying not to overstep and, and leave nothing behind. So, um, I would, uh, this is a thumbs up. Um, I, you know, I'm familiar with enough with the beasties that I find them to get a little bit more interesting later, but uh, as a debut album, uh, and, and as Josh said, for the age that they're at, it, it is kind of remarkable um, how fully formed they are as a sound, right? Even if their lyrics come and and a, a little bit of that like um, call and response, yep. Beastie stuff is here, but it becomes I find it becomes way more um, almost like a script. In future albums they deviate from it a little bit more here that it doesn't seem as much like and now i'm going to pass the mic to you and now i'm going to pass the mic to you like hard and fast right this is a little bit more um seemingly spontaneous so that's that's one take i want to say too so um i guess it would be um, josh right you got the second take. oh yeah
1: yeah i've heard this album many times and uh it's but it's been a while since i listened to it yeah. The D the DNA for them is, is here. It's, it's all here. Their, their vocal delivery, which is kind of a hallmark of them, the, the back and forth that they do the finishing each other's sentences and, and just kind of their, their personalities of, of the three of them. That's all here. And um, it's, it's fun. It's like a fun snapshot of, of what they were like when they were young and, and, just being full of energy and and that all comes through on the album there's definitely like a sense of humor some would you could say juvenile humor on some of the tracks or some of the lines but um uh you know like like girls or i don't know (laughs) fight for your rights party i mean that is um an example of that but but yeah, what's your favorite line in that song, guys? Because there's there's a lot
0: of memorable ones in there, right? So, Um
1: I always when remember. When says, Fight
0: for your, right. "Your mom threw away your best <laughs> on OMAG, is yeah, the one, mag," yeah, I was gonna say to that yeah. hypocrite smokes two packs <laughs> yeah, a that's day. That's a good one. To say. Yeah, there's yeah.
1: <laughs> so, um, the uh, what was I gonna say? Uh, the sampling is here. I think it's kind of in its infancy as well, but they're definitely. I mean, I picked up the opening to Led Zeppelin right off the the bat in Rhymin' and Stealing," and there's some a lot of other songs that we've listened to along the way that they take and put in here. Um, I think the song structure is is pretty clever uh, for the most part. I I kind of like the the songs that are not. Um, the more novelty songs, I mean, or I should say, the the more popular songs like "Fight for Your Right," "No Sleep Till Brooklyn," "Girls." Those are kind of like one set of songs, but I like the ones that are more like pure hip hop, like Rhymin' and Stealin' or Paul Revere or the the new style, um, uh, "Slow and Low," something like that. Um, Can I add one um, trivia question that I forgot to put in mine, guys? Oh sure.
0: You know who plays the guitar on "No Sleep Till Brooklyn"?
1: Um,
2: i only do because i have it up but uh, i didn't know that i don't know yeah
0: it's always one that cracks me it's it's uh slayers uh carrie king is who plays the guitar on that yep so
1: interesting yeah i guess brass monkey would be another one that's uh an example of kind of a more like novelty crossover and and that's the thing too with them is like they brought hip-hop more into the white audience um I would say. And and some of those songs, I mean, Fight for Your Right got a lot of play on MTV and I think No Sleep Till Brooklyn as well. And I think that brought, you know, the hip-hop exposure as well. Um, So they're definitely like an important band for hip-hop, especially in these early stages. And um, this album is it's worth listening to and i and i enjoyed it but like john said it, their their later albums they get more complex they get more mature they get um i think they just get better at what they do overall so this is a thumbs up from me and um yeah it's recommended it gets compared to like a punk album quite a bit and i think that's a very good hmm.
0: um analogy with the, yeah. where they're at this stage right because they are It's more simple than what they do later but there's an energy and a rawness to them that later they become a little bit more um calculated not in a bad way but you know they're more self-aware which is good for them as people but does take a certain amount of energy away right so Mm -hmm.
2: well they started off as a punk band so it makes sense that this is kind of like Mm -hmm. the bridge to what what they would become um so yeah i mean i re- i i this is another i band i vividly remember this on m t v Fight for your right in particular was just like omnipresent on that that video, and these guys were man, these guys were cool you'd watch that th- that video and like they were just like they had they certainly had the frat boy thing going on, but like yeah, they were pulling off this image and this attitude that was just super confident and like Punk and um and it was really engaging, you know, especially as a, like a kid watching that, just be like, what the heck, you know. Um, I have always liked their voices. I mean, you guys talked about the call and response. I've always I've always liked that in um you know with 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 groups you know different hip hop acts that have that have done that, incorporated that. Um, it just. It just adds so much depth, I think, to to that to the to the hip hop sound, and I, that's I kind of like. I think Jurassic Five is really good at that. That's another band that kind of you know the riffs off of that, and I've always liked that. So um, and they do that a lot. Now you're right. I think I, I'm not as familiar. See, Beastie Boys albums that I I actually owned this one. Um, I know Paul's boutique pretty well, and the other oddly enough, the other the only other Beastie Boys album that I ever owned was To the Five Burrows, which came out much later, like in the like, early wow. 2000s. Yeah. So I'm really interested to get into, like, Ill Communication, uh, Check Your Head, and uh, Hello Nasty, if we cover mm-hmm. all of those, because I know that those are kind of like, um, you know, that's where they start to really We will cover in. Uh,
0: three of the four, I believe, yeah.
2: Actually, I did own Check Your Head for a minute, and then I I traded it away for something else. that probably was was a bad move on my end. I had I had a couple of moments like in high school where I like either sold or traded albums, and most of them were not good decisions on my part. So, um, so but I can't but I can't say that like. Can you I catalog
0: to... those, Matt? Because that would be a great segment. Yeah, I just I, I Matt's I can tell poor you which trades. Ones I, got.
2: I can tell you which ones I got rid of. I can't I can't tell you exactly what I traded them for, but uh-huh. uh, I can take a guess. But Check Your Head. I might you know what, I might have traded that for Bad Motor Finger by Soundgarden which actually wasn't that's as not a terrible a trade. trade. No, as bad of other ones. Like I think, I, but I also think I sold the Chronic for like five bucks. Like you know, <laughs> so so that was bad. I I I bought that
0: one later on. But um, there's so, people listening that are like, oh, you made a killing on that, not realizing that like <laughs> CDs cost like a hundred bucks back. <laughs> in yeah, the day. right. Yeah, yeah so. that's fair. So um, so this album,
2: I I I, I do like. I uh, there's tons of energy, attitude, and and I love the I love the flow of the um of the of the, the the back and forth. It is pretty sparse, but it's also like early. You know, '80s, you know, kind of hip hop. You know, Um, you know, there's a lot of space on here. There's, there's not the production certainly gets better. You know, in subsequent albums with them, Uh, I I think it suffers a little bit from its length. It starts to stuff towards the end starts to blend together for me a little bit. Uh, But the stuff that's strong really really hits for me I, I think the opening that that drum beat that drum kicking in with Ryman and Steelen, which is uh the beginning of when the levee breaks is just yeah. awesome i love the way this album opens Ryman and Steelen is like here we are like we've landed and that's like that that's the beastie boy sound right there um with you know incorporating some you know like a classic drum beat um and uh you know i think the singles fight for your right no sleep till brooklyn where they incorporate that rock i that I obviously really respond to those um, I like the the new style. Um, and and so the the novelties, girls, and Brass Monkey. I, I I've always liked that. They're kind of goofy. Like that's the other thing. This is a goofy album, right? Yeah. These guys, it's, it's there's humor in here, but they are clearly it's it sounds to me like a group of guys that just got together in the studio with a but they 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 landed a bunch of money and they're just like let's just fuck around for you know a you know a couple weeks or whatever and just and uh, but when they do that and in doing so they've also you know created a sound and an image and uh you know the beginnings of 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 a band that that got you know that that turned out to be really great and they turned out to be really influential and um and so overall i think i think this is probably an uneven album i'm still a thumbs up on it i don't think it's uneven to the point where i'm going to say it's a thumbs in the middle at all but there's definitely they're refined this isn't a fully formed uh you know, this uh, sound <laughs> or group. Uh, but they yeah. certainly come through. I can you know I know when Paul's boutique comes, I I I know that album pretty well and I and I that's Man, what a what a jump that they make between that that this album and that one. Um, so yeah, I, I've also heard stories about them kind of renouncing some of the uh, the messaging, the misogyny of this record. Cause well, the completely... original
0: name of the album is pretty infamously like unreleasable, right? Oh, you guys really? are aware of that story, no, right? No, what is that? No. What was the original? Oh, I mean, it's I it's like let me put it this way: it's such a bad title that I can't <laughs> even say it on the oh, podcast, wow, and All they right. held on to it for a while until I know we shit on records, right? Uh, like record companies, yeah. but I would say that Columbia Records was completely right in their idea that they could not release <laughs> yeah. the album under the title that the Beast. Now well, the Beastie Boys yeah. apologized, and it does show, you know, that humans can grow, right? And and also of the era. But yeah, if uh, like I said, I'm not going to mention it here, but a Google is pretty infamously going to tell you what it is. Yeah. Okay. So the well, other basically... story I always remember about oh, this geez. album. <laughs> yeah. Just... Uh, the other, the other. Um, the other thing that I always remember about this, Matt, is they recorded a like a version of like a Beatles song for this, but Michael Jackson wouldn't let them release it. I'm trying to remember what that's song it title? is. the oh title?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah, you guys oh didn't my. know that? No. Oh, yeah, that's a pretty infamous story, yeah.
1: So, mm-hmm.
2: Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, there was a mm-hmm. teaser there for you. Um, well, but we'll you also t- have to think, these guys t- are pieces. T- yeah. Go ahead, Josh.
1: I was going to say, the title is Don't Be an F Word. Yeah. Uh. They're they're know.
2: basically they're in high school. They just got out of high school, right? You said they're like 19. You know, this is a bunch of high school clowns that are just well, like goofing see. around and stuff. You know? Adam so. Horovitz
0: was born in 1966, so this album was released in 1986. So, so, so he they would were have 20. just turned yeah. tw- he would have just turned 20 because he was born Halloween of 1966, and this was released in. Yeah. It's like November 19, of 1986. November of yeah. yeah. And it was so.
2: recorded in 86 as well. So like so yeah, they're still I mean, they're still pretty young and stupid and whatever. But like mm-hmm. I don't know. Overall, I I'd say thumbs up, but it's I can't imagine that this is I'm surprised actually that this is ranked number 2 as the second highest uh rated album on best ever albums for the Beastie Boys. It's, it's yeah. that that kind of surprises me. Um I mean, I it's pretty remarkably
0: influential with the the sampling they do. You know, it really is one of the first albums that that has this level of sampling mm-hmm. yeah. right in it. Well, and, and I mean, then they take it, then they put on it on, ste- yeah,
2: they put on steroids on the next album. You know, right? That's exactly that's like insane. Uh, but yeah, this is like it's, it samples uh, Liz Zeppelin. I think it's it, there's uh, there's Creedence in here towards the end. I forgot that they mm-hmm. sampled some Creedence. Um, that what is it? This uh, low rider. Who is that? Is that War? They sampled yeah, that, that on, on Slow Ride. Was it down so,
0: on the corner? They covered. Was yes. that what it was? Yeah, yeah.
2: that guitar part. So um, yeah, I think they even because they sampled Mister Ed, the Mister Ed theme song. So um, <laughs> yeah. You know, That's true, yeah. yeah, so uh, so yeah, um, I'm 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 excited to listen to the Beastie Boys albums that I'm not familiar with, which are mostly I think they're kind of '90s records. Uh, but um, so yeah, this is they're they're still they're still forming their uh, their identity here, mm-hmm. which is probably a good thing
0: yep um i was just looking too. adam Yalk is apparently two years older than the rest of them so he was about 22 when this album came out oh so what's his excuse <laughs> uh, yeah I, I mean yeah it was of its time right yeah. and stuff like that but no it's um i don't want <laughs> to title. just focus i don't want to just focus on that it's um you know like i said the rick rubin production is here too that i think of in conjunction with run dmc and he would of course grow to be a hugely influential producer but by the way um, by the way Matt the song that they covered from the Beatles was I'm Down was the song that Michael Jackson blocked so I finally looked that up so
2: on this album
0: it was supposed to be on the uh, album yeah they recorded like a like I'm looking now because I remembered okay. the story from like another podcast I listened to. But yes, it says they recorded a loose rendition of the Beatles "I'm Down" for the album, which included sampling of the original song. But the track was pulled at the last minute due to legal disputes with Michael Jackson, who owned the Beatles' publishing rights.
2: Well, mm-hmm. Michael Jackson must not have cared of all the Beatles samples that happened in the next record because that That's, was way more than just one song. I right? <laughs> <That> was <laughs> yeah. like, jeez. Yes. So, um, yeah,
0: there you go so interesting yep yeah, thumbs up for me on this one certainly influential uh and i enjoyed it but yeah there's some interesting stuff to come from them as well okay for sure halfway halfway through the show we are now at our first trip into the discography of anita baker so uh matt you both get the first take and you get
2: to run the numbers i do yep so anita baker's rapture comes in at number 441 in the 1980s on best ever albums Uh, Number 42 in 1986, number 2,850 of all time, it is Anita Baker's highest rated album on Best Ever Albums. This album also made Rolling Stone's list, coming in at number 404, and Anita Baker is ranked as the number 1,708 highest artist of overall artist rankings on Best Ever Albums. And I was not familiar with any of these songs. Um, I, oh, I think really? This, any? Yeah, really. I don't think so. It didn't really. Wow. Nothing really rang a bell here for me. Um, There's some pretty big hits and, on this one. Yeah, and I think it won Grammys. And it was a pretty. It was a pretty big album from the the very brief overview that I did looking at the uh, a little bio of it. But um, yeah, so this this is pretty adult contemporary. Um, it's uh, it's very. I, I think she, I will say this. I think she's my my biggest compliment to this record is I, I think she's got a really unique, interesting, good voice. I think that she seems like she's got it's it's a, it's that deeper voice uh, than most female voices that I think that we've covered. She kind mm. of has this. It's not a baritone. It's not quite that low, but it's certainly she's on the a alto contralto.
0: Range. Contralto is the name of it with who, a range of three octaves.
2: Who did? Yeah, the range stood out to me as well. Who was that? Uh, who did we talked about contralto? Was that um. Oh, what's her name from the 60s?
0: Is Roberta Flack? Was oh. she? I mean, no, no, the white a woman.
2: Of... Oh. The, the, oh gosh, Dusty Springfield. Uh, no, I'm gonna, th- I'll, I'll come back to it, but there was okay. no, I thought that there was somebody else that we had covered that Naya, 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 Laura Nero, Laura Nero. Thank Laura you, Laura Nero. Okay, was yep. she a contralto
1: or was that? they know. thinking of somebody else, know.
2: anyway. Uh, I always think I, of
0: Tony Braxton when I think of Anita Baker's voice, they have similar okay, yeah, yeah, like it. that are husky and belters, yep, mm-hmm. yeah,
2: so she's got so there's so there's parts of this where she's got like this deeper kind of it's soulful type it, voice, but then she' so, also kind of goes higher as well.
1: it's the lowest vocal range for a female for a female mm-hmm. yeah,
2: okay, yep. and that, that stood out to me and then then I was impressed with how she was able to you know go high as well so um but yeah there's not much here that I it It was fine this record i would describe as being fine. this was kind of background music for me um you know i didn't really nothing really stood out nothing i thought was i didn't think anything was terrible it it was um it's it seems of its time with some of the production techniques that they were using um and it's uh yeah, kind of more of the adult contemporary uh type five that I was getting from it that just didn't really move me in any particular direction you know one way or the other this was kind of like a very thumbs in the middle type serviceable record for me hmm. uh, i'm sure there's many people that obviously many people love this type of thing it's not really my kind of genre um and uh yeah i, I don't really have a strong to, like that's the thing i wake up with. i just like i listened to it several times i was like okay and aside from her voice and the kind of the unique nature of the voice and what she was doing with it. I didn't really find any you know so there's some stuff that was more upbeat and bouncy there was other stuff that was more that was more of a ballad and uh all of it was fine so I'm thumbs in the middle (laughs) on Anita Baker
1: definitively any sort of uh differences that you notice between her and like say I don't know Sade or some of those other kind of black artists that Sade seemed
2: to me like more I don't know I thought that Sade was more interesting I thought that she, with, with with some of the kind of the, the percussion that she was doing, um, I thought that that, I, I think I li- I definitely liked that better. That was a more of a, yeah, I, I thought that was more interesting where this was just kind of more standard.
1: Yeah, got it. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where my frame of reference was coming from was comparing it to those other artists that we've heard. And um, I enjoyed this album. I had heard, I definitely heard Sweet Love before somewhere along the way. And maybe something else you bring me joy I'm not sure I definitely sweet love but um, yeah this is kind of similar in my mind to to Sade and uh, Luther Vandross and and some of those other type of um, albums Um, I really like her voice and uh, I agree it's kind of got a a deep like soulful uh, nature to it and this is this is uh by definition i think john's uh beloved quiet storm r&b type of sound it's mm-hmm. kind of this is quiet storm yeah it's kind of it's got this you know it's got this smoothness it's it's uh definitely romantic and it, it's got this kind of jazzy element with, with with the horns that come in and it just it just characterized kind of that, that smoky bar piano bar vibe that we've discussed before and that I've mentioned before. And, and that definitely is what it reminds me of. The, um, songs are pretty good. I mean, I think, I think she's, ex- I think she expands out more than I would say like Day does in terms of thematic, uh, Thematic themes, thematic thematic lines, and uh, you know, not just about love, but about um, like I don't know, mystery is. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I think she's. I think she's. I'm a mess tonight, guys. I don't know what's, <laughs> um, but the uh, the uh, it's good. It's good. I'm I'm thumbs <laughs> in good, the Josh. I'm thumbs in the middle also. Um I I enjoyed listening to it but it didn't like you know blow me away in any sort of way. John what did you think about this album? John
2: I bet you John I, loved
0: it.
1: <laughs> I really like this album. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's I for me good
0: R&B is about the singer, right? And I think yeah. Anita Baker has a fantastic voice. Does. Um yep. I'm kind of shocked you guys haven't heard songs like Same Old Love and Sweet Love and Caught Up in the Rapture. I mean these were mm-hmm. like massive songs (laughs) like like i i pretty much insta i was kind of like okay anita baker 86 is this like sweet love same old love anita baker or is this like giving you the best that i got like anita baker you know like Mm -hmm. a little bit later and i'm like oh okay this is like the sweet love same old love um anita baker i there's a lot of groove in this album which is what i like i think I think that's what distinguishes this a little bit more from some of the quiet storm. I was a little bit more neutral on um, like the Luther Vandross album we covered. There just wasn't uh, the meat that is the groove on this. And um, I wouldn't say it was a complete soft jazz. It was kind of like, but it was kind of like soft jazz meets um, the groove, right? With her sort of, Soulful voice. We talked earlier about Janet Jackson having a wispy voice, but it was kind of also like a sexy voice. Like this is kind of a a different version of that, right? It's like a mm-hmm. deeper register. It's like a more uh, world worn uh, voice. I, I you know another person I would say as a male that has elements of Anita Baker's voice is like Bill Withers. Mm-hmm. Like I she she project, projects to me a little bit with that warmness and comfortability that like the Bill Withers voice gave me when I would listen to those albums, right? Just that you're, you're enjoying it. Um, You can put it on. I know Matt said it fades into the background, but I've often said that I think really good R and B albums are albums that can be in the forefront. If you decide you want them to be in the forefront, but also can be great background music, but not in a dismissive way more in the, the sort of the, the tone they set for you. Um yeah, I think I I just process this album as a much bigger album maybe than you guys do, just because it was always around me yeah. at different times. And um uh and and you know Matt, I know that like R and B I don't wanna to speak for you. I know R and B seems to be a little bit of a tough one for you sometimes. Yeah. Um with stuff. I I guess I can just explain it that I don't know if there's a magic alchemy to it for me. It really just kind of comes down to the sound of the the singer's voice and the the mood it evokes for me. That that has always been what R&B is for me. I don't need more from it yeah. than that mm-hmm. because the feeling gets imparted to me by the troubadour who's delivering the message, right? So if like the the voice doesn't resonate, then it doesn't, you know, it doesn't register at the same level. But if it does, the same material sang by someone who I don't feel a, a good example is it's similar material, right here to what Luther Vandross had. But and there's Luther Vandross songs I really like, right? But it just there's there's more to this, and there's more replay value, there's more heft to it. Um, I will absolutely admit that female singers are not the impediment to me that I think they are to rock critics sometimes, and even people I know who just seem to prefer hearing a male voice more than a female voice, I don't have that um, hang up. I, I, not because I'm some super enlightened guy, right? It's just I've always equally enjoyed male and female singers, right? Mm-hmm. So I I think from my end of things, this, this meets my criteria, which is um, good, memorable voice sings um, pleasant songs that um, are sort of universal in the emotions and the feel and that is the recipe for me for a great r&b yeah. album so um thumbs up for me no, her for voice sure. is
2: definitely there I I, that, I I noticed that almost immediately it's just you know it. i maybe for me it's that's that in and of itself isn't enough like i need i need some of the music to kind so, of resonate with me as well and can uh, i
0: posit a theory matt and please. see what you think about this yeah <laughs> do you think the fact that you it doesn't seem like this music was in your airspace like growing up in the way that other stuff right that you're like oh I you know I saw the Beastie Boys video right from the other one or like um Phil Collins right like because to me like this was as omnipresent as maybe not quite as omnipresent but like I think the gap between how omnipresent something like Phil Collins was for you like this it would be like all omnipresent right and this would be like foreign right whereas for me Phil Collins was only slightly more omnipresent than, like, Anita Baker, right? Like, it just – they well, were it was gonna, both you know, for, all the time on.
2: To be omnipresent for me, it either had to be playing in my house a lot, yeah. right? So that's either probably my mom – coming from my mom or most likely my brother because he was only – or maybe occasionally my sister or um, on MTV or, on you know, just on okay. the regular Top 40 radio, you know? Um, even friends that might have been into something, at least as a kid, in 1986 – I wasn't really, you know, hearing them. I was just like, what was in my world? And I don't remember hearing Anita Baker anywhere. And if I did, it was it was right. not all that was certainly right. wasn't on the present. So
0: well, like I don't think I rode on a bus until the age of fifteen that didn't have quiet storm R and B like every oh, bus driver I ever had, right? Like <laughs> so like as a result, you know, it was yeah. just when I think of riding the bus, right? Like I think of what would have been considered to be like urban adult contemporary because the bus drivers could put it on right and it was safe music yeah, that right. they enjoyed but also you know wasn't going to be offensive right yeah, but right. it was pleasant enough that they liked it so like to me i yeah. just thought everybody rode on buses right we're like and it wasn't the same bus driver by the way it was all yeah. the bus drivers right well, so like my- it was
2: all my bus drivers were listening to Nashville country, so... Uh, <laughs> okay, well, and there that's, you go. And, that's, yeah. and to yeah.
0: me, that is a foreign genre, yeah. right? Because, like, no one listened to country where I grew up, right? Uh, so, like, I think things like the omnipresence of Garth Brooks, right, like, were kind of lost on me. I, I only knew him as, oh, he's a big star, but, like, no one I know listens to him. And maybe that's what R&B is for you, Matt. Like, it, like you know it exists, but it, like, just wasn't part of the DNA I would have right
2: switch pl- gladly sl- switched places with you, John, growing <laughs> okay. up. Okay. <in> <laughs>
0: I'm not saying it was better. I'm just saying it's just I've I I become more and more <laughs> – I'm just saying I've become more and more aware, right, of some of, like, what was floating around. right? Like, yeah, like my dad and mom weren't playing Anita Baker all the time, although, like, I absolutely can remember, like, my mom – putting on music that was similar to what, like, Anita Baker was, right? And listening to it. So, I mean, it wouldn't have been out of character for her to put Rapture on, right, because she would have said something along the lines of, I love her voice, you know, (laughs) that's how I would have gotten to it, right? John, so yeah. here, just to give you a
2: sense of like, because I was just thinking like, are we ever going to cover like something like, because we haven't done really, we've done some country, but it's been like roots, traditional country. Like, did we? Yeah. I made get sure to get to we put pop? some
0: stuff on in the nineties.
2: for well, sure. And, and so I'm just looking, we said Garth Brooks, who, who certainly was on the present in my world growing up. Cause he was all over the people freaking love okay. that guy. His okay. highest rated album <laughs> on best ever albums is that album from 1990 called no fences. It's ranked mm-hmm. number 1,600 in the 1990s. Okay. So that's, you know, so yeah, that's, that's what we're dealing with if, comparatively to like some of the R and B, which is more critically acclaimed. I but guess yeah, I like the
0: eighties was still where like, there were these clear yards that didn't exist in popular music. Right. And kind of like black radio was one of them. Right. And country was another mm, and yeah. hip hop. Right. There wasn't even hip hop, right. It was rap, right. Yeah. was like what we're really saying. That was another, right. And, and these there was mainstream music and then there were all these like sub genres. Indie rock even was still like you just, it wasn't on MTV, right? It was sort of like sort of flirting with it. Just like there could be a quiet storm R&B song that broke through, right? Or a, you know, like a a certain rap song that could break through, but these were still niche musics at the time. So I think it's interesting because it's just like, you know is where you grew up um and you know internationally it would be fascinating because a lot of these genres we're saying were like definitively american styles of music right oh, i'm yeah. sure there were yeah
2: there was no reggaeton playing in uh in, in upstate new york in the in the 80s and there still isn't well, i don't think there sure. was a lot of reggaeton playing in pretty
0: much anywhere in the <laughs> yeah. united states in the so, 80s yeah so yeah. 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 so how about you josh because i do you straddle the line on this or are you you do you associate more with like matt's narrative or my narrative like where would you say you are
1: yeah i'm probably definitely more with with matt i okay i I don't think my parents listened to a lot of r&b and then whenever i was listening to the radio you know before i was driving and stuff that i would have been listening to oldies i think that's kind of where my frame of reference was like beach boys and and beatles and kind of all of the 60s and i guess motown too but um kind of all that frame of reference so you're right though if you if you don't if you're not exposed to it you know we never turned the dial to an B station or something i would have never like really heard this um. well we i didn't can't have stress Spotify enough
2: just to listen to whatever right, we wanted right. to whenever we yeah.
1: wanted to either
0: well i can't stress enough as much as like you know my dad was into music right and my mom listened to it a lot how little of my musical taste was defined by like what my parents were listening to right like almost all of my music taste was defined by people's older brothers or random guys that i thought were knowledgeable or cool right that did different stuff or kind of being drawn in by a band's name or a album cover right like at a different place and saying like well that's interesting do i like this band because they have an awesome name right and then i think it's funny because we covered sonic you tonight and i think that's actually how I stumbled across Sonic Youth, right? Like when I was nine, I was like, what a cool band name that is. And I was like, I wonder if I'll like what they sound like. And around that time, and I'll save that story for later, but it's just funny that we covered them, right? Cause that's mm-hmm. how it happened. But yeah, and that's how like Quiet Storm was basically like, I was getting that from at the risk of sounding, you know, overly, like I was getting it from various older, Black folks around me at all times. I mentioned the the bus drivers, but it could just as easily have been like my little league coach in ninth grade who would listen to that music while, you know, in the dugout, right? Like I think of Quiet Storm there because that was played. There were just all these guys, right? And it was like, oh, like these guys listen to, you know, R&B, you know, like certain people listen to like oldies, like Motown or 50s stuff Mm -hmm. or like certain people... Listen to, you know, like Led Zeppelin, right, or Grateful Dead, right? Like it's just, I don't think I process this anymore. Of oh, okay, this is a thing that lots of people listen to. So,
1: well, I think too that you kind of grew up in a more like urban city environment than than I. A little bit more, yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think that you know you're just that brings a certain type of, I don't know, exposure that you know. You know, when we were all in D.C. together, you know, Mm -hmm. you just hear people playing music in the city when you're walking the city and stuff like that. So I guess you just hear more.
0: And that's what I'm saying. It wasn't like I sought it out or like, oh, I'm so worldly. I think it's just you're just you can't help but notice. Right. When you're around more people of different cultures that Mm -hmm. you hear more stuff. Right. And that's kind of, you know, that's why I think hip hop and rap appeared on my because I was near New York, right? Which was one of the centers. And I was around a lot of people who would say from an early time in their life that their favorite music was rap music, right? And so, yeah, it just was like, I don't think there was ever a part in my childhood where I didn't know plenty of people who said their favorite music wasn't, you know, gosh, like when I was starting, right? It would have been like, you know, Rakim and KRS-One and stuff like that, right? Would Mm -hmm. have been the people that, yeah, so. Mm Mm-hmm so yeah but thumbs up for me on this one i
1: enjoyed it yeah th- stuff. I, yeah thumbs up for me too I, oh you changed
2: look at that well what I'm did still i say in before the, thumbs you and middle. you said in the middle oh i'm well, staying yeah, in I'm, the middle okay <laughs> i'm sticking <laughs> to my guns i like I'm, john i liked everything that john said but i'm still in the middle on i'm this. thumbs in the
1: middle trending upwards
0: I think you know me well <laughs> enough, Matt, to know that I'm rarely ever trying to convince you. I'm just spouting off at the mouth with whatever I feel. So I, I always appreciate that. No, it all makes sense. Listen, and it's, yeah. it's mm-hmm. you're
2: you certainly a lot. Of, yeah, it's not just you know who you are as a person is certainly you know has a lot to do with you know the environment in which you grew up, and certainly your taste in pop culture that that does as well. So
0: i just felt um, this album needed a little bit more and i know both of you guys had more to say i just had to drag it out of you a little bit right yeah. like a different angle maybe than yeah that and, I, itself, and so. that's the
2: other thing too when i listen to music i'm basically just listening to the the, the music i'm not i know you contextualize things a lot more yes. than i do john it's like it's like well not just the music but where does this fall in line with like mm-hmm. not just my experience but just the overall landscape of music in general and and, and, and what's happening culturally and historically and all that stuff and I'm just like, it
0: sounds good, <laughs> you know? I, well, it, no, and that's, I mean, there's and there's stuff like, and when you're passionate, you go, but it's like, I don't like to drag stuff into contextualization all the time. Like, it's like, kind of like my lane, but occasionally when I'm getting shrug emoji, you know, I'm going to like pull yeah, it past shrug given, emoji. I was definitely you know? given shrug so, emoji. I was like, what am yeah. I going to
2: say about this? Like, I do not yeah. it, it, it's in the middle. That
0: and since I so, like this more than shrug emoji, I'm like, I'm going to make sure that we yeah. have a conversation about this. So, yeah. yeah. So there you go okay uh we are on to the second uh t- penultimate right penultimate penultimate, penultimate. penultimate. Yep. yes the yes. t is soft so penultimate matt's favorite word uh segment right it's a here good one it is it is and it's probably the least well-known artist to the general public uh are yes. listening i would um, i would concur with that and that would um, be the water boys so yeah. matt Tell us the, the numbers.
2: Uh, the the Waterboys comes in uh, with uh, This Is The Sea, is the album that we're covering. comes in at number 138 in the 1980s on Best Ever Albums, number 13 in 1985, number 912 of all time. Uh, it is the Waterboys' highest-rated album on Best Ever Albums. It did not make Rolling Stones' list. And the Waterboys, uh, they're ranked at number 405 of overall artist rankings. I know Josh gets the first take, but I'm curious, John, where did you come up with this one?
0: um this one was on once again we were a few albums short i think it was like 11 right to make the full amount of episodes with the structure we have and so this was from one of the lists right of uh, i don't know if it was pitchfork or nme those are the two lists i used to kind of post cards or whatever no it was not on that it was it was fleshed in from uh the top 50 albums right of the decade um from one of those two publications so that is how this ended up yeah all
1: right yeah, this is a band that I was not familiar with at all, and I had not heard any of these songs before. So it was a, it was a real blind spot for me. I would describe this album as kind of having a big sound. They, they reminded me of that lane that U two is was in. That I think the Waterboys were trying to go for. They had this, this the lead singer has this big kind of powerful voice. They have a lot of instrumentation in the album a lot of like horns and piano and uh, different percussion and like keyboards and synths i think all kind of create this big like uh not cacophonous sound but full sound and the kind of like big emotions and like big um almost in the same way too that like um, tears for fears was in in some ways like kind of really like going for it musically um i don't know it just it just felt like when i was listening to it they were like out front and center like giving it all all they've got in some way and and that's how i would kind of describe this album i think there's some um maybe also some kind of uh I don't know like like Van Morrison vibes or something. I think they're trying to kind of it's got a Britishness to it that uh is a little nostalgic and they're also um you know writing about love and and uh I don't know kind of kind of British in the way that the Kinks were as well. Um it's it's got this quality that I can't quite put my finger on but um I enjoyed the album and um, but there wasn't really like kind of some strong there wasn't really like a big single on this for me that jumped out that like said wow this is like the hit like I'm surprised I didn't hear this somewhere or something like that all the songs are pretty good but they weren't like great to me or there wasn't like one real standout track for me so I'm I'm curious kind of like what the legacy of this band is and like kind of what their influence is, you know, looking back, um, you know, after the fact, but, but um, I pulled
0: up the leg, like who they were influenced by. If you are curious about that, you said you're curious. Yeah. Uh, He said his influences were the Velvet Underground, (laughs) Steve, Steve Reich, who's that? Patti Smith, David Bowie, Bob Dylan, and Van Morrison. Okay. And critics often compared the band to Van Morrison and U Two, which Oh, okay. I mean, you mentioned Van Morrison and certainly U Two yep. was a band that I wrote down was there too. So yep, that tracks I'd say.
1: Okay. Who's Steve Reich? Have we talked to him before?
0: Uh he had a no, but he had an album I there's an album I think it was like called Sixteen Songs or something like that that I know is well regarded. Hmm. Um but I couldn't tell you what it sounds like i actually was hoping we would cover it a little bit because i hear about it a lot but um but yeah i'm i'm not much of a reference for you on that unfortunately
1: but yeah overall i found this album um pretty pretty engaging and uh there's a lot of variety on it in terms of instrumentation so um yeah thumbs up i'd say a mild thumbs up for me on this one matt what do you think
2: yeah, so this came out of nowhere. I had never heard of these guys and um was really pleasantly surprised. Um it this is a so my first reaction to this was this sounds oh my gosh, this sounds like the Delta Spirit. I don't know how familiar you guys are with that band, but the 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 vocalist, the lead not, vocalist sounds just like the Delta all. Spirit yeah. guy. Um so if you ever if anybody's familiar with that, that's that's the immediate thing that I went to. Um also this the sound of this record is definitely not of 1986 this is so this is to me much more of a you know um kind of early you know mid 2000s you know to early to you know late 2000s kind of vibe um with just you know kind of more of a it's not necessary alternative it's definitely like a uh, josh is right it's it's a very full sound it's a lot of anthemic um you know kind of big sounds yeah. there's a lot of interesting instrumentation notably like a lot of piano a lot of there's some violin in here there's and saxophone or mm. kind of you know three instruments that they use interchangeably a, a, amongst you know more traditional drums bass guitar and um and it does weave in weave in and out pretty pretty easily this this type of sound is certainly much more up my alley um you know and uh i just i really liked it from the start i i i would probably agree josh i don't know if there was necessarily any song that stood out although i felt like the first the one-two punch of the first two songs was pretty was pretty solid don't bang the drum and the whole moon i I really liked both of those i love the way it ends with the the more the acoustic guitar with this is the sea i thought that was kind of a mm-hmm. you know it's it, as it, it's it's an anthemic song with like a, with an acoustic guitar as the driving you know instrument behind it, which is kind of an interesting thing. But a lot of energy, great rock music. Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily breaking down any barriers or, or reinventing anything, but just just really solid songwriting, I think. And um, and it kept me interested throughout. Um, I was getting a little bit of maybe it's the pan within, but I was I was kind of getting some of the kind of um, uh, I don't really want to say it a, a little bit of the cure kind of, you know, uh, Jesus and Mary, not Jesus and Mary Chain, Echo, and um, Echo and the Bunnyman. Echo and the Bunnyman. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. I
1: little... picked up on that too.
2: Thank you. Yes. There's mm-hmm. some vibes of that. That's kind of that, that still kind of reminds you. It's a little bit in the lane of the eighties, but most of this to me just says uh, this, this more of a modern rock kind of thing. That's got like a boisterous, almost like fun. That's another band mm. that kind of like a bigger sounding kind of like rock slash pop band um so uh i i can't say that i i don't think this is going to get to the level of like oh this is one of my favorite albums of the decade i i, I don't think that but that i think they're definitely going to be on my list as a surprise band that i knew nothing about um that uh, that i really enjoyed that kind of came out of nowhere i did i did read a little history they're still around it's most it's mostly one guy uh by the name of mike scott but they've had he's had there's been like 85 different members in the, as, in the band. And he made some comment. Like he thinks that they have the record for the most bad members of any, <laughs> you know, band ever, you know? So um, if it's, if it's truly 85, I, I, I think it is. Cause if you look at their Wikipedia page, there's like tons of freaking past members and whatnot. So um, they certainly could make the case for that, but I, I'm definitely a, a fairly solid thumbs up on this. This was a nice surprise and just a really solid, you know, upbeat pop rock album for me. So,
0: yeah if um quiet storm R and B um you know discordant guitars matt are kind of like a yeah. little bit of your challenge like the genre of like celtic tinged like <laughs> rock mixed with like springstonian era yeah. like bombast and <laughs> yeah. like yes, mild bombast, sax i'd say I, yeah. I didn't hate this album but this is the very definition of an album when it was done, I was like, "Okay, so we covered that." And like, I, 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 don't want to be dismissive, and I'll try to go back. Like, but like, this is the very definition of an album. It's like, yeah, I'm never gonna be re- revisiting that album again. Like, it just, it's a lot of hallmarks that are like tough for me. It's. Like the, I felt like the drum, like every single track was like just hitting the drum. <laughs> yeah. And then like when it got to that, it was like, you know, like the fill, like with the rapid fill. And it was like by the eighth time I'd heard that like drum pattern, I'm like. It, there just was nothing really interesting going on on the drums for me like as the the Celtic stuff would come in I was like ugh you know it's because it's just <laughs> it's not a it's not an easy sound for me and it, it wasn't delivered like maybe as spirited as like the Pogues were where like a, a band we covered recently that I thought at least you know uh, built it in it kind of like I, I was writing like I, I don't want to just use other it was kind of like if you took the fairport convention but you like threw it through like a, a springsteen era like accompaniment i'd say mixed with mm. like earnest u2 level lyrics and sound right but without the edge like noodling with his guitar work right it was more yeah. sort of um it, it was um it was a it was a little bit disposable for me i'd say and like by like my take is when you've heard like the seventh anthem on an album, like it's not an anthem anymore. <laughs> right. It's like you know, I like I need if I'm gonna have an anthem out one anthem, you know, and that's my joke about Springsteen. all this. it's like how many times can I hear an epic before it doesn't have any epic qualities anymore, right? You know, it's kinda like I I, I will budget you exactly one, perhaps two on a particularly nostalgic night epic, but when you're giving me sort of the sixth anthemic song, I I I wear my tank runs down a little bit, uh. right, and it's like, mm-hmm. um, you know, to 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 meet it there. So I I can't say I love this album. Um, I with that being said, I can't say I hated this album either. Now I will say Medicine Bow was probably my favorite song on this album. Yeah. Um, in terms of listening to it, interestingly enough, I see on Spotify that. The whole of the Moon is the song that by far has the yeah. most plays. And did that song stand out to you guys more than the other songs by a factor of 112 million plays. (laughs) No. Because, like, when I wrote notes, you know what I mean? It wasn't like, you know, this song was clearly the single or this song. I would have actually guessed, like, Don't Bang the Drum, right? Or um, The Pan Within, right, would have been more likely to have been the breakthrough single. So the only thing I can guess is that The Whole of the Moon had to have been tied to some sort of (laughs) modern television show, right? Yeah, it's like, it has to be, right? Like, what is... When an album when a song has a hundred and twelve million more plays. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. So that had to have been played somewhere and connected with people. So um but yeah, as soon as I heard this I said, Matt's gonna love this and mm. Josh will probably have a mixed opinion but lean to the favorite. And I don't want us to be that predictable, but um sometimes we are, uh, sometimes we have our tendencies, right. And we have to be honest about what our tendencies are. And, uh, I definitely think there are things in this lane that are there, but like even kind of the stuff you were saying Matt, like, it's like fun. And I'm like, oof, that, yep. that almost sounds like a, <laughs> like a, a pejorative term, right? Like a threat. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if you'd said to me, listen, I think you might like this. It's like fun, right? I will never forget that it, they will remain nameless, but someone one time who is very dear to me, right? Uh, was trying to connect with me on music and i remember they very earnestly said to me and said i think that you'll like this band they're very similar to um they're very similar to like i think a lot of stuff that you like their name is fun and i remember saying oh it's really cool that this person tried to connect i remember listening to fun and it's that terrible feeling you have when you realize this Uh person knows nothing about my tastes if they you know and it's kind of like that feeling where you get context um, so I just wanted to share that story because it's funny. So like when somebody says that, or it's like, I don't know if you want to say that, Matt. That's like basically gonna. Pro- this album didn't deserve that level of blasphemy, right? So, ah. <laughs> um, but it also resides a little bit in that anthemicness that you know became like Mumford and Sons and yeah. Yeah. years later, you yep. know, like um, it, it of resides
1: in men. Yeah, of
0: monsters and men. Yep, yes, all that and yeah, that is. Um, I think I can say a a difficult genre for me. I would say um, is that it is a channel turn genre for me. I would not say that I wanted to turn this off. I it was certainly un, um, un uh, threatening enough and uh, not inoffensive. so un, inoffensive. <laughs> yes, yeah. is the word I'm going for. But yeah, it um there just nothing. There was nothing transcendent enough that that brought me in. And I did think that some of the. The hallmarks of the sound started repeating themselves after a while, yeah. and not necessarily a good way yeah well, whether I would it agree be with the that. drums or the sax or the 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 yearning earnest like belting not belt like you know earnest I'd say yeah. lyrics, yeah
2: no, and I think i you're probably right that the um it would it would have done better, he would have done better to kind of have thrown more um uh, like slow it down a little bit, or take some stuff, take some stuff off of it, um, you know, to 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 mix up the uh, the the variety of, of what you're hearing. Um, so I get that, and I think that that definitely probably knocked it down a peg or two for me because it's They're... kind of like wow, oh, you're just getting it's like it's it's it hits it starts off at like a like an eight or a nine, and it just it hovers in that range basically yeah. throughout the entire record. So. Right. It that's is a better if a, if, a, if an album can kind of fluctuate with that. And I think I still like that eight and nine, like uh, generally speaking. And mm-hmm. that's why I'm glad it's not, a, it's not a terribly long record. Although there's a couple of songs in here well, that you like like people
0: mark. like Frank Turner too, who I also oh, yeah. share some, te- some characteristics with this type stuff. Right. So I
2: think he's way better than this though. But well, yes. yeah, I'm
0: just saying it, it resides a little bit, right? He, I figure he's, I feel like he's always either eight or nine and unless he's singing his wistful ballad and then he's down two or three he he mixes
2: it up way more but yeah he's got he definitely has the earnest nature that the springsteen like kind of like if you you ever see the live show i don't know what this these guys are like live but Mm -hmm. you know sometimes you get that the interaction with the crowd and trying to like this is the moment we're all in this moment now and let's you know kind of trying to we're all here together yeah yeah. like there's a like like there's a lot of yeah
0: there's a lot of lyrics like on this one like the whole of the moon you were there at the turnstiles with the wind at your heels you stretched for the stars and you know how it feels not like awful right but like also like to me it's the type of like it's the type of lyrics right that I know you said earlier that you found like Kim Gordon at times pretentious, right? With the spoken word, which I get, right? But to me, I I think for me, it's more like interesting, right? Whereas this is sort of like, I would look at someone who like put those lyrics up on a wall and stuff (laughs) and kind of be like, what is that saying? You know what I mean? Like, it's not bad, right? It's a But like, what is that like evoking in you, right? You know what I mean? Like what, what? How does it move you or drive you, right? And if someone's like, uh, you know, like I just there's a lot of lyrics like that, so I just look to see what can I write down to do. It's a it, little so schmaltzy. Yeah, it's fine. It's inoffensive, but it's like, like let's just put it this way: the lyrics are not a plus one in this package no. for me. Yeah,
2: and so. that's not would would make me gravitate towards
0: it anyway but yeah i know you guys stand on the thumbs up middle because you know as we try Uh, to archive our stuff yeah
2: (laughs) no this is definitely a thumbs up for me it's not like a way up oh my god it's amazing but like it's a it's it's a thumbs up in the in the realm of like i'm glad i've i've i I now know another band that i never heard of and it's from this is from 1986 like like that's the other thing it doesn't sound like that at all sounds way more modern to me than that so uh, i like the i like these types of surprises how
0: yeah.
1: about you, Jess? Yeah, I'm thumbs up. Um, it's I was kind of doing a little research while you guys were talking, mm-hmm. and this is by uh, – The whole. of the Moon is by far their most f- famous song, not just from the okay. – historically, not just from the, the Spotify plays, mm-hmm. but it was um, their most popular song in the U.K. also. Um, wow. And it appeared in this – movie in 2019 on Netflix the holiday movie called Let It Snow which is a, like a teen teen movie as well and the two leads play the song in a church or something and uh, so maybe yeah. that was why some Maybe that's why, uh, you know, it's got a lot of plays uh, recently. Maybe people revisiting it or And I
2: think, I think I could see why that's the big song. I mean, it didn't okay. – I, I would agree, John. I don't think it stood out to me as being like, wow, that's the song. But, like, if you just think of it, like, the bouncy nature of it, the piano, yeah. like, in the forefront, just the kind of – it, it, it. there's some – I get it. I, I, I get why that would be it, you know. Um, but I also think that there could have been a couple of other songs on here that – would have been like that as well, but it's, it's not terribly surprising that that's the hit.
0: Well, and obviously my scale is a little bit more complex or convoluted, depending on if you're being charitable or non charitable to me. Right. But, um, I was going to put this in like the neutral category for me, but then I have to put it in the not recommend for me because while it certainly isn't offensive, there's just people that do this style of music. I feel that just do it better. Right. And it's not a music that hits my ear well. And so the combination of music that doesn't hit my ear well, you know, for me, when you are a leader in the genre or you bring something to it, it can move it up for me that even if it's not my first choice, I can appreciate the art more and grow into it. I just don't know if this had it because I just kept thinking like, do I need this in a world where there's the better <laughs> Bruce Springsteen songs or you too exists? You know, like yeah. I just feel there's people that scratch this itch, you know, quite a bit. You know, I'd never thought by the way, guys, that you talked about the echo and the bunny thing, but especially that second echo and the bunny men album um, that we covered. Right. I yeah. do, I do see similarities to that. And I did like that album. So maybe that's another one where I'm like, was that porcupine? The second one or no, was it ocean was rain, this, ocean, rain. Ocean, ocean Rain. Yeah. The... ocean rain yeah so the ocean i think like ocean rain did some oh, i think of this. that came
2: out first did that come out we i
0: think we inverted yeah we those. covered them in reverse oh wait order. no we no no, no yeah we we did no. what them, we I did
2: think. was we covered them in the right order we just did the right. bio on the on yeah. the lower ranked album is right what, was what happened so
0: but yes there are two very different sounding albums they but were yes, the yeah. second one that was more poppy. actually
2: i think i liked porcupine better if i recall correctly the first one
0: yeah you up. did i yeah. think i was the only one that liked the, the second album we covered ocean rain no. better than porcupine so
1: mm-hmm. no i so. think i liked ocean rain more than
0: porcupine. did you okay we'll have yeah. to dig back in the stacks oh yeah <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> all right and our fourth trip into the discography of rem and it is their fourth album so we have so far been perfect in four terms of four. covering four for four in terms of covering rem albums although i must say I did not uh, tag with you guys on Fables of the Reconstruction, so I will keep it very brief, guys. Uh, I love Fables of the Reconstruction, Mm. and I actually felt you guys did a very good job. You always do, but particularly of sort of encapsulating my thoughts of it being a much darker album. Um, I think of Murmur and Reckoning as being paired sets to some degree, right? Yeah. Cause they're kind of doing the same thing. Fables is where you get to that thing where each REM album starts to have its own um, personality a little bit. And that's the dark, you know, I think the band almost broke up during that album. Uh, they, they wow. went overseas and, and recorded it. And I think they said that's the closest they ever came And REM famously being the band that never broke up, right? Like Bill Berry leaves, right? But he doesn't leave cause they break up. He leaves cause of health reasons. So Yeah. And you know, Matt, run the numbers, but I'll be able to continue that. The I was gonna yep. go so nicely thematically into it, but I gotta run the numbers. No, it's
2: so. cool. So, Life's Rich Pageant by REM comes in at number seventy-two in the nineteen-eighties on Best Ever Albums, number nine in nineteen eighty-six, number five hundred three of all time. It's REM's fifth highest-rated album on Best Ever Albums, behind Out of Time, Document, and Murmur. I'm sorry, and Murmur and Automatic for the People. So it's yeah, it's the fifth highest-rated. Um, and it's not on Rolling Stones list. And R.E.M. again is ranked at number twenty in overall artist rankings on best ever albums.
0: Yeah, and um, you know it's it's interesting that we cover both um, R.E.M. and Sonic Youth on this episode because um, I, I kind of said to myself, I get the feeling as we cover the Sonic Youth albums, I'm gonna kind of like rediscover that like Sonic Youth is a top 10 maybe even top five band for me mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. and evil wasn't like necessarily album right where like i had that transcendent thing but i've long said that i consider rem to be a top five band ever for me and i'm always surprised by how surprised people are by that that they're like really you know i don't think of them as like some a band that would be somebody's favorite band. And I'm like, well, why? And like, when I I do albums like this, I'm like I even, <laughs> I'm even more surprised that people are surprised because like, not only is there a chance that R.E.M. might be a top five band for me, like there's days where I might say R.E.M. might be my favorite band, you know, in terms of their their volume of work and how much I like it. uh, And, and the, the sort of the balance of that or the volume of it, uh, because you know, if if uh, Fables of the Reconstruction is the album that's dark and moody and, you know, uh, uneasy, right? Like, this mm-hmm. is clearly a response to that, where they're like, we're going to go poppier. Um, not as poppier as they go later in the decade, but certainly bring back some of the elements of, you know, what was there in Murmur and Reckoning. Um, maybe not quite as jangly, I'd say, but... Yeah. Um, but also thematically and lyrically, it's a more, um, well, <laughs> Michael Stipe is always sort of oblique, but... Um, that is true. Not, yes. You know, it's <laughs> like his his lyrics are always everything and nothing at the same times, right? And I, I think he's even said that, like, I, I don't, I've never bought his idea that, like, the lyrics he just writes down, they mean nothing. Like, I clearly think they do, but they... I've always felt that Michael Stipe's view, like, role as a... Lyricist and lead singer of REM is very much as like a like a a mood setter, right? Like he he sets the mood for the song, and then the rest of the band exists sort of around it. And there's some really good examples of that on this this album of songs that, like, Hyena is is one that's like Mm -hmm. that, and Fall on Me. These are songs where you get hyena gets like a frantic energy as you would expect from a song called hyena right like the flowers of guatemala has a sentimental vibe as you'd expect from a song called the flowers of (laughs) guatemala right like fall on me is a is a contemplative song right that that sort of you know and and you have to remember michael stipe's always writing from sort of a an interesting point of view with love songs right because he's writing songs as a as a gay man, right? But he's writing them universally, right? So he's always working in sort of a, <laughs> a nondescript, right? Like protagonist for these songs and relationships. They can be everybody and nobody at the same time, uh, which also lends them the added credibility of the fact that they don't have to necessarily be romantic love. They can be love you have for anybody you love, right? Whether it be a family member or a friend or just a concept, right? Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, there's I, I always love albums like this one because if you were to name 15 REM songs that you know, I don't know if any of the songs on this album would be any of the 15 that most people would put down, right? Cuz there's not that one definitive REM song on this album. Right. But there's many many people who will say that this is their favorite REM album, which I can't think of many bands that can do that, right? Where like one of their top fifteen songs is not on an album yet. You don't, the album... you don't think
2: "Fall on Me" would fall would be and that would be the song on this record.
0: Like if you listed fifteen aria, so let me do an exercise with you. I, I allow me to do a little bit of a masturbatory exercise right here. Let me see if I can get to fifteen songs that we agree on would be ahead of that in the general population. Okay, so we got easy ones, right? Like "Losing My Religion" certainly would be ahead of it, right? Mm-hmm. "The End of the World as You Know It," right? to stand right this one goes out to the one i love right would definitely be above it everybody hurts mm-hmm. i think would be above it right so that gets us to what five
1: yep, yep. okay and
0: so that that's five is there any i mean i just went with the ones that are pretty I'm, I, I, think, I, don't,
2: I, I don't know if we need to go through like every single yeah, song i'm, I'm not just saying, saying I, I could see somebody coming up with like in general like that that if you're just i'm just saying if you're going to pick a song on this record that would be it and that was and i don't think it would be i don't think it's a huge stretch to say that you know fall on me would be a song that a lot of people would be familiar with that's all but i but point taken most of the songs on this record i would agree with you that don't but it's closer to
0: 15 than it is to like seven would you agree with that you're just saying.
1: I think you're just yeah. saying the singles aren't as strong compared to other albums.
0: I don't think if it's all. It's just it's rare that you find an album where, like, I mean, they certainly like tell me what the fall on me al- uh video was about. Oh, I know you yeah. can't right because there's there really wasn't one right, and that's what I'm saying. And there were others. There were other um, like I think like Driver Eight right. For, Fables yeah. kind of has that view too, but like Driver Eight to me would show up on people's list. As a REM song ahead of like "Fall on Me," right, and that doesn't—that's yeah. not their I artistic know merits. That, but
2: I, yeah, well, we might be splitting hairs here, but I, I yeah, I, I think "Fall on me, to me" is just is is a relatively big song for REM, hmm. not their biggest, but but I think I don't think it's I don't think it's out of nowhere. I think it's definitely a, a so a it is song
0: definitely it is definitely the so we'll use Spotify, right? Spotify has it as having eleven million four hundred thirty nine plays okay Okay. so let's um let's go into fables right that's probably because we we use driver eight right which would be the corollary to that okay so i'm going in right now to fables to check to see the total plays for this is supposed to go quicker for me along the (laughs) way but it's just it's taking a sweet time it's definitely
2: not in the top 10 all the top 10s are like stuff from out of time and automatic from the people Right, you know. So, um, driver
0: eight has seven point seven million plays. So, so. by that, right, that you would you would be right. Fall on me comes a little bit it's ahead more. of driver eight. Mm-hmm. What about Superman? I mean, I think a fall on me as a as. A song that would come up earlier than Superman. Yeah, I would in agree. In terms that. of like uh, the general, yeah, but I mean, anyway, I don't guess. Get down yeah. with that, no, but, yeah. it's. I mean, it's it's a good thing though because it's it goes to our assumptions, right, of what people are listening to, but they kind of fall in that same lane in terms of where they're at. But mm. I I guess where I'm at now is that you're starting to see the REM that becomes the massive band, right? Mm-hmm. Because this one definitely has more songs that you're you're saying to yourself. Uh, this could play on mainstream radio right, and the the indiness right of r e m is starting to blend into the the large video friendly you know band right that eventually becomes arguably the biggest rock band in the world for a couple of years um mm-hmm. and and they kind of sneak up on you right because they always seem small even when they're large <laughs> it's kind of what i think about rem right mm-hmm. and uh, that's kind of like the the magic to them um so i've got a lot more to say once again i'm trying to be much better about not taking up the space and kind of be more conversational as we go along I, i'm curious to hear each of your your initial takes right and then kind of i'll jump in you know to to follow up
1: mm-hmm. so i guess matt let's start with you what do you think
2: i think josh is next
1: uh, Josh. Okay, sorry, Josh. Yeah, yep. um, yeah I, I really enjoyed this album. I think right out of the gate, what I noticed is that it was like kind of a harder, more hard rocking sounding album than the previous efforts. Um, right from the you know initial guitar part on Begin the Begin, uh, it it's kind of did you know this... that
2: song before, Josh? By the way, or is that a nope. new? Th- yeah, okay. I don't
1: think I knew any of these songs. I don't think I even knew knew Fall on Me before. Wow. Um, okay. So, yeah, I'm not one of those people that that knew that song. Um, So, yeah, it it kind of has this more, I don't know, propulsive quality to the album. Um, I would agree also with John sentiment that there's less jangliness in the guitar and on the tracks as a whole. Um, I like when the tambourine comes in on Begin the Begin also. And... They, I mean, it's still consistently the guitar is still great. Peter Buck's guitar. I really like when they um, harmonize and uh, like on "Fall on Me" when they have the kind of the backing singers uh, join in on the vocals um, in the chorus. I really like that. And um, I think I think this is another. Uh, cons- I think from track to track, it's consistently good as well. I really like that song, Cuyahoga. Um, which is the third track. And then, um, you know, later on down, Just a Touch, I really like. It's kind of a more fast paced piano. Um, they throw some piano in there as well. And then Superman, I noticed, has, um, which I think I had heard before. I must have heard it before. And, uh, but it's got banjo on it, I think, in the background somewhere. Or like keyboard or something too. Um, it's kind of got some interesting things I didn't know uh, notice about it, other than Michael Stipe, you know, just kind of singing the the "I am Superman" um, line. It's it's kind of a simple song, but it's like it's like very effective and catchy. But overall, I really um, this is another strong effort for them. I feel like this might be my favorite of the albums that you know up to this point that we've listened to of theirs. But I feel like. There might be some recency bias too. Probably every album I listen to will be my favorite unless they just keep getting better and better. I don't know. But um, I would agree too, John. I pay, I paid attention to the lyrics this time. Um, I read along with them as I was listening and they often don't make sense. And I, I could not parse sometimes what they're about. Like Hyena, I, was, I wrote down, I don't know what this song is about. And it's definitely not about a hyena, that's for sure. <laughs> and then, and then uh, but Cuyahoga, I think, does get into, or does find that sweet spot of not being too oblique. And I think you can kind of put together what the song would be about, about not only the river, but maybe like Native Americans and uh, things like that. So I think from a lyrical standpoint, it's, it's nice when they're, you know, kind of poetic or a little oblique, but you um, can still figure out you know there's still some sort of like message or or underlying thing um to i it. think
0: like going to that idea of evoking a feeling right like i yeah. think hyena isn't supposed to be about a thing it's supposed to be about like the feeling of being a hyena you know what i mean like because mm. hyenas are you know yes. kind of you know they're you know they're kind of frantic right and stuff and even if you hear that like chorus where it's like hyena you know it's kind of like the idea of being like you know chased by or being a hyena right so
1: they he does that a lot
0: right like it's Mm kind of the the vibe as kids would say nowadays right yeah as
1: opposed to yeah Mm -hmm. i also liked underneath the bunker which is kind of the last track on the on the uh a side it's an instrumental it's kind of almost got like this uh, not surf rock per se, but almost like south of the border type of sound to it. Maybe like desert rock or something. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but I really um, liked how that sound as Well, well
2: there's, there's vocals on that too josh it's not a fully instrumental it's it's, okay it's like a subdued vocal but yeah it's
0: kind of like the music you see when they show like a motel with a lot of odd people in it you know what i mean with the blinking (laughs) light that's like the once again like the i get the vibe right like cuyahoga is like kind of what like a steel town would be like right Mm -hmm. that underneath the bunker is kind of like that motel right i always
1: yeah like you're on highway 66 stopping at a, a Trinket shop or something.
0: Yeah, and there's a guy at a motel, right? Who's like half asleep and yeah, you know, he's he's married to like either a much larger or a much smaller woman. You
1: know what I mean? <laughs> kind of like yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Very evocative, mm-hmm. and uh, for me at least, yeah, yeah. So yeah, this is a thumb. This is a thumbs up for me. Also, I noticed that life's rich pageant doesn't have an apostrophe in it, and at, I kept coming back to it. It's like really <laughs> bothering me why it doesn't have an apostrophe in it anywhere, and it doesn't, you know, it's not on the album having an apostrophe. So, and there's no I explanation. Yeah, I don't mm. know. Like, I mean, isn't wouldn't it be possessive? Wouldn't life have the rich pageant? I don't well, know.
0: I guess maybe life is not a rich pageant, right? Like life's like like multiple lives have rich. Well, pageants. like maybe lives? it's the life. L-I-V, yes. Maybe it's the life's rich pageant, you know what I mean, as opposed to life. Because you're saying what it needs to be possessive, but maybe life's is the proper noun, right? So, Like life's life's... rich is the proper noun, and pageant (laughs) is, yeah. Oh, I see. Like life's is a name? Life's rich, you know what I mean? (laughs) I don't know. I I mean, they don't do anything by accident, right? That's kind of their,
1: so I'm Uh, sure while you guys are talking, I can look up why. I'm just going to, now I'm just going to ruminate on that I never thought of Rich. Maybe you don't want to know the answer. This is so (laughs) not not you, Josh. It's probably It's not
0: you to just let it sit there, you know what I mean, with no answer. That's like the anti-Josh, but maybe you should just let it sit there, and then you can inhabit Michael Stipe because that's what his answer would be. I do remember it's,
2: Josh was the first person that I ever, like, met that, like, really showed me that if you ever have a question, like, you can get an answer to it immediately. Like, <laughs> I remember we were sitting down, like, have a, you and I were like, well, I wonder what this is, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, ah, I don't know. It's just a weird thing. And Josh came But back, I think like, half the seconds, time, later, you like, and I didn't the want I was like, all oh, right, we can look this up anytime <laughs> we want, you know?
0: Half the fun was if there is no answer, you <laughs> yeah. both can be right at the same time, right? And Josh did not exist in that situation. Josh like, right? nope. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, we think... have to have somebody be the definitive winner of this question. So. <laughs> also,
1: I think L- Rich Paget would be a good name for a racing horse. So that's, well, if I ever hear that, I'm going to bet on that horse. On <laughs> horse. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so... thumbs up.
2: Yeah, so this record, this is the now we're getting to R.E.M. that I actually was familiar with. Um you know, the first three albums, I I think I knew songs here or there but never owned them and didn't know them fully. So, uh this was uh, an album that I was quite familiar with and I, I I do love this record and I think I right off the bat begin the begin when I first heard that song, I was I was very intrigued by that song. I just it's a really unique way of structuring a song with that with that guitar riff that like the hammering down on that guitar that little guitar part and the way that they use it throughout the song to kind of bridge you know within it's not the chorus necessarily but it's just the way that the drum kind of like snares down stops and then you put the guitar back and it goes right into it it's just it's a really cool way to do on a song and um and that's a that's a great great tune um John, you used the word frantic a couple of times. I see what you're saying. I, to me, this there's a lot of songs on here. I, I would use the word urgent. It's kind of like mm-hmm. this, like this yeah. fast paced kind of like urgent. Yeah. And we've we've seen them do this before. But on a song like these days or um, just a touch in particular, just a touch is a great song too. It's almost it's got like this. There's like a very it's more, it's got a very punk element to it, which you know R.E.M. was certainly. I wouldn't call them a punk band, but they definitely drew from yeah. punk influences. Um, in a lot of their songs, but I love the Mike Mills standouts on this. I mean, the 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 bridge on "Fall on Me" is a fant. I, that's that's what makes that song for me. Was when you got Mills doing the bridge part of that, where he's singing it. It's just, it's beautiful. He's got such a great voice. He does lead on "Superman." That's his voice mainly doing "Superman." On uh, you know there. So, um, so he's really shining here. Peter Buck's guitar playing. Is, is just is, is 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 a standout this is definitely a lighter a more upbeat more rocking album certainly than fables of the reconstruction um and and there's there's some variety on here too you, you got something like you know the slower songs like Coyahoga and what if we give it away and flowers of Guatemala you know, kind of more of a novelty song like Underneath the Bunker. So there's, it's flows, right? As opposed to the record we just covered with the Waterboy saying, like, oh, it kind of hits this note, it stays there. This is, there's more fluctuation here, which makes for a more overall interesting listen. But they're really, I mean, gosh, they've been hitting their stride already, but to me, this is where they, they get they they bump up a little bit more of a level I think overall with the with the it's a little bit more of a mature sound it's kind of building off of it's kind of combining all the stuff that they did in their previous three albums you know you see so you kind of have but there are some of the the the, the under the the more um, I don't want to say dark there's some darker undertones with some of the sounds anyway of some of the songs but then it also kind of re it rehashes through some of the stuff that they did earlier that was more upbeat um, and urgent so i i love the mixture of this um i don't i underneath the bunkers kind of it's like a novelty type song so i wouldn't say that it's, it's a bad song it, it's it's not something that stands out to me but generally i don't think there's a bad song on here um and actually under it says here on wikipedia i knew superman was kind of a hidden track on the cd because that was that's not listed on there but it also says here that underneath the bunker wasn't listed on the packaging of the original hmm. release of the record anyway so you they had like two secret tracks but but yeah man um I, I I could easily see – I think I'm with you, John. R.E.M. is – is especially now knowing the first three albums better, they could definitely be in the running for a top ten artist. I don't know if they would crack the top five, but I think that they could definitely crack the top ten for me. So big thumbs up on this. I love this band.
0: Yeah, I've got an answer for you, Josh. I oh, found it. okay, great. So uh, the title – Life's Rich Pageant was from a line in the 1964 film A Shot in the Dark, starring Peter Sellers as Inspector Clouseau. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a set of lines uh, where an actress says to him, get out of these clothes immediately, you'll catch your death of pneumonia, you will. And Clouseau replies, yes, I probably will, but it's all a part of Life's Rich Pageant, you know. However, here's the apostrophe part, Josh. REM, (laughs) however, chose to present the album as Life's Rich Pageant, deliberately omitting the apostrophe. Oh. Nearly all contractions used by REM lack apostrophes, though in this case, life's was a possessive. Peter Buck later stated, "We all hate apostrophes." <laughs> Michael insisted, and I agreed that there's never been a good rock album that had an apostrophe in the title. <laughs>
1: okay. So, wow, wow. There you go. So, it's, credit to are you, are discover rock and roll, Josh.
0: Youdiscovermusic.com yeah. is where I got that from. So, <laughs> wow. thank you for filling that in for me. Yes. I never
2: knew that they hated apostrophes, never even yes. thought of that, so
0: I will now apparently, they do not use them in any title yeah. that would do them across their catalog, so <laughs> we 'll have to pay attention to the next time there's a contraction that they choose to just reject <laughs> that's amazing but yeah, this is a great album, and um REM's a freaking great band man, mm-hmm. like four for four <laughs> like let's and, and the fact I know this the fact that like you knew them pretty well, Matt and it 's like well, you know them, but let's just go ahead and throw murmur and reckoning and like fables on. Right. And it's like, God damn. Like, I'm yep. sure it had to have been like, OK, these were just hanging here, you know, to to not exist. And yeah, Josh, I pretty, I, know, much,
2: I pretty much know everything beyond them through through like their, you know, through up, really. Is, yeah. is, I can pretty much. Yeah. But so Josh, Josh yeah, I'm excited yeah, for you Josh. Said,
0: yeah. Are you are you digging them like Matt and I do or is it still like a work in progress for you?
1: Yeah, I am I'm um I'm, uh, I, I am liking them. I'm enjoying them. I think they will be I think I'll be uh re- 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 rewarded more on future listens as well. Um they'll okay. be a band that i come back to, I think. Okay. Yeah. Well, I also remember
2: seeing I just I remember I saw um I saw them play begin the begin with Eddie Vedder. Which was awesome. The oh, nice. part demoers of Pearl Jam. Yeah, that was that I
0: can was, hear Eddie great. Vedder singing that song yeah. because of the boat the, like it's a little bit of a different Burning singing style for yeah. Michael Stipe, you know? And yeah, it's like it is more yarly yeah. than he normally <laughs> is. Yes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah,
2: it was it was great. Yep.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well that takes us to the end of this episode. Uh Josh, I don't know if you have it up, but would you mind running down we're back to a regular episode next we week? We are. Yep. So, could you tell yeah, us we'll what do we're covering?
2: Three covered? in a row of regular episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: we are um, in 1986, and back to a regular bio episode. And John will be covering the Bad Brains' "Eye Against Eye," mm. a DC classic. Yep. Um, Matt is covering Boogie Down Productions, Criminal Minded. Can't wait Matt to hear it. Matt is covering that. Wow. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, Matt I, and KRS-One. The uh, yeah, uh, partners learn. in crime. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And then uh, oh, we're back to Metallica with Master of Puppets. Um, Master and I oh, guess I got a lot of bio. That's quite the episode <laughs> right there. <laughs> bio <laughs> on Metallica. So I better get writing. Mm-hmm. I suppose
0: when I when I imagine episodes like mapping them out, this remember I said like I wanted to work on putting episodes together that were more evocative. Like this is the type of episode that I was imagining, right? Like having Bad Brains, Boogie Down Productions, and Metallica on one album. This is maximum edge for this thing. It is maximum edge. I enjoy it. So Uh, look forward to that one, and uh, look forward to. meet back up with you guys next week hopefully everybody's feeling at 100 percent. and uh, we'll talk to each other and to you the audience soon Coming the stacks can be found on 13 different platforms viewer feedback can be sent to combing the stacks at gmail.com you can follow us on twitter at combing the and on youtube by searching for combing the stacks and throwing us a follow